Hello um, and welcome uh, shareholders and investors. My name is Jeff Wilson uh, and I'm the chairman of uh, Wilson Asset Management, also the chairman of WAM Capital. Uh, thank you for dialing in for the to the webinar today. There's uh, myself um, and Oscar Oberg and Olivia Harris um, who will be taking questions, or, 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 you know, answering your questions uh, and, and trying to give you as much uh, feedback as we can. In terms of the number of people that have you know, registered for this webinar, it, it is a, um, a very large, you know, it's you know, a little over a 1,000. Um, so there'll be a lot of questions. Uh, you know, we'll, the presentation will go for, say, probably 10, 15 minutes, and we'll try to have the rest of the time uh, open for questions. If we do miss you, please, you know, you're there because you're our shareholders, you know, please email us or contact us. You know, obviously, you know, there'll be some of the people on the call that actually may be our competitors, so um, we won't be answering your questions. Uh, but, no, look, thank you. Thank you very much, um, everyone. In terms of the result, you know, we announced the result yesterday. Um, you can read it in detail. Yeah, as, as, we, as we try to be in contact with um, as many of you as we can, we try to get a bit of an, an idea of what, you, what you're feeling and what you're thinking. Uh, and in the announcement, we tried to give you um, really as much detail as you could as we could for you to um, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle uh, together. In, in terms of you know, probably you know, what I would like to do is just focus on you know, some of the, the, you know, the, the questions people have asked me. You know, obviously, you know, people have um, you know, made some, very, you know, some positive comments about you know, the continued outperformance of the portfolio you know, over the last uh, four years. Um, but there's been a, uh, you know, also there's been a number of questions about um, you know, well let me just put them into various categories. You know, there's a lot of shareholders, I suppose, including myself being one, feeling some pain because you know say we bought our shares in the two dollar plus uh, range, and then you know where they're trading it now, and, and I'll 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 address that. Um, also, there's been uh, a number of shareholders. Now, questioning about dividends uh, and the ability to continue to pay you know, high, fully frank dividends. I'll talk about that. Um, you know, obviously, about the sh where the share price actually is trading at at the moment. You know, we, as it was trading at a, a quite a, a large premium NTA, now it's only a, a lot smaller premium NTA. Um, and I'll cover I'll cover off on that. And as you as I mentioned, that you know, there's been a number of people have that have talked about performance. Now, that's performance of the underlying underlying portfolio. Um, and, and you'll see, um, we'll send the slides out to you all after this presentation and we'll announce them on the ASX um, you know, tomorrow. Uh, you know, so, you know, they'll all be available there. Um, I suppose the first thing is when people invest, well, actually, I, I, I think... Uh, Olivia, do I need? I probably need to do a disclaimer. Um, we've got a disclaimer slide, so basically, you know, if you can, um, yeah, you know, we'll just flip it up on the screen. If you can all read that, uh, is it there somewhere? Yes, yes, it's on. Oh, perfect. Okay, and so um, 
that means you know we, we can't give you specific advice. Um, the advice we'll give you is, is only general advice. Uh, if now, if you if you look at, we'll put up the slide where it shows you um, where the portfolio is invested, um, and that's that's the slide you know showing you uh, you know just just where the you know the weightings of various categories of companies, you know where the all odds. You know, if you if you bought the all odds, where you'd be, um, you know, what companies you'd be weighted to. Um, if you bought the small odds, what companies you'd be weighted to um, or have exposure to, and then where WAM Capital is invested. And to me, it's very important that shareholders understand that. So, you, know, you can see by that slide where the bulk of the money um, of WAM Capital is invested in smaller companies. Um, you know, a, a very high weighting. It's really smaller micro cap. You know, so a, a higher weighting. You know, to those categories that, than even the small odds. You know, so what? What as a shareholder, what we're expecting there is, you know, the, the, the smaller you go in companies, you expect higher risk, but you also would like um, higher returns. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to that. Nosco will probably talk to that a little bit later. Um, but in terms of you know, the, the various concerns that people have been having, when the, the board of, um, of WAM Capital made a decision when COVID started, um, then we were paying a 15.5-cent uh, fully frank dividend you know, for the 12-month period, and this is going back to you know, the 2000, you know, the, the, um, you know, the two, 2020 year. Um, and the board made a decision then. A lot of companies were cutting their dividends uh, and the board made a decision then saying, okay, we might be going through a rocky period, but we're very comfortable in keeping that uh, dividend. You know, we have retained earnings and we have franking credits. We'd prefer those franking credits to be in shareholders' hands. So we're very happy to keep the dividend at that level. Um, over the following four years, and, and we'll show you, I mean, there's a slide in the pack. I don't think we need to put it up now, um, which just shows you how the portfolio performed over those four years. Uh, and, and, the, and there was you know, quite a bit of um, volatility. There was a year where the, uh, where the portfolio was down 18-odd know, percent. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, we're, we're also you know, we're paying to you shareholders, we're giving you 15 and a half cents fully franked, which on the current asset uh, backing is over 10% fully franked. So we have to make 15% you know, pre-tax, pay that, you know, four and a bit percent tax, and then so we can pay out that 10 and a half percent fully franked. So we'd been, and, and that, you know, the first year, of um, the first full year of COVID, you know, the portfolio was down 18.5%. So we lost, you know, 35, 36 cents of NTA, plus we paid you a 15.5 cent fully frank dividend. Uh, and, and we've been paying you that yield of, you know, say at the at the uh, after-tax level, you know, fully franked of 10.5%, but at the pre-tax level, close to 15%, you know, for the last four years. Um, and when you're, you know, in terms of as fund managers... Um, you know, what we're trying to do is on your behalf is outperform, you know, with the capital you give us, 
and, and we're hoping to do the market plus a little bit better. Um, over that four-year period, you know, the yield on the, on the market was about um, 3.7%, 3 3.8%, and I think it was about 60% uh, franked. So we were giving you a, a significantly higher fully franked yield. And in terms of return, um, some shareholders are saying, well, look, why, you know, I bought in the, you know, $2 uh, level. It's now trading, you know, significantly lower than that. What's happened? Um, well, I mean, if you look at the last 12 months, you know, 12 months ago we were trading at a you know, 22% premium to NTA at June last year. And now WAM's only at a 5% premium NTA. And uh, Olivia, do you just want to put that slide up? Just shows you the cyclicality of the premium and discounts to NTA. Um, so that's that's been one factor. Um, the other factor, the reason why you know, the, the share price has come down is because we've actually been paying you super profits um, in terms of, you know, normally you expect, say, to get a, you know, 9 or 10% return pre-tax from investing in the market. If you know, we're good fund managers, we're going to do a bit better than that. But we've been giving you, you know, effectively 15% pre-tax. Now, that was a board decision to keep the dividend high. Um, and so you know, if the portfolio is down, say, you know, the, the first year of the GFC, the portfolio is down 18%, you know, then also you've got a situation where you're paying effectively 15% uh, pre-tax so that's twenty. So you're about, um, you know, you're, you know, the portfolio is down thirty five percent, and and then um, even if the portfolio bounced back, it's that the additional fully frank dividend that we've been paying you every year, um, that at a pre tax level is is tapering, reducing the capital. Um, so to me, you've got to add that dividend back, and you've got to add that franking benefit back for you to get the you know to fully understand. Yeah, then yeah, then then what's you know, what's happened. Um, so that's to me that's you know, very important. And and the plan is from the board's perspective, is while we can keep paying you these high dividends, um, then yeah, then we'll keep yeah, delivering them to you. Uh, now you'll see um, yeah, in in terms of in the announcement we talked about. Yeah, if we can deliver, you know, really we need to deliver a 15, 16% pre-tax return to give you, to provide those dividends to you. One of the positive things is in July, um, WAM uh, Capital did a, uh, you know, you know, Oscar and his team did a great job. The portfolio was up um, you know, a little over 3.5%, you know, beating, beating the market. Uh, and so far this month, you know, even though it's been a tough month for the market, the portfolio is a couple of percent ahead of you know, the market, um, you know, which is which is positive. And, and we'll talk to that a little later. So to me, um, you know, that sort of covers off a little bit you know, and going from that premium to discount. Uh, and you know, will we get back to a premium? What we've always said what we like to do is buy a dollar of assets at 80 cents. We like to buy you know, discounts to NTA, and that's what we'd encourage you to do. You know, would WAM Capital go back to you know, the premium it was one day? You'll see from the chart the probability is you know, if we continue to do what we're doing and continue to deliver, you know, then then that will uh, that will occur. Um, now, what I'd probably um, you know, I've touched on 
I've, well, I haven't touched in detail on performance. Actually, Olivia, if we go to, I've touched on discount. Yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously, the discount to end. Sorry, the premium to NTA has reduced significantly, and that's been a negative impact. I've touched on the fact that we've been paying a very high fully frank dividend. Yeah, really, nearly a super uh, dividend in terms of if you look at it, and what we need to do. Um, you know, to you know, continue to deliver that to you. And our plan is, you know, we'd like to continue to do that. Um, and I've t- touched on a little bit is, you know, why the share price has gone from that high, you know, from those $2 levels to where it is now. It's, you know, twofold. Is one is contraction of premium to NTA. And the second one is, you know, we've actually, you know, even though it's been a tough period um, and, and we have had some really good performance, We've been paying out a, very, a significant, you know, a significant dividend you know, compared to what the market does, um, or any other, you know, most of our peers in, in a, a fully frank uh, basis. So, um, Olivia, if you just want to, have, have we shown that premium to discount chart? Yes. But yeah, yeah people get a little bit of an idea about that. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to pass over to Oscar. Um, you know, there has been a lot of questions that have come in and initially where Olivia will go back and Olivia will start asking Oscar and myself some of those questions. So to me, actually, the, the one slide I'd like to um, finish on before I go to Oscar, Olivia, is just the performance slide where we put the performance of the, and this is since COVID, uh, where we put the performance of the WAM Capital Portfolio um, and then we've shown you the performance of the all odds, and also we've shown you the performance of the small odds. And you'll see that, you know, that by the, you know, the, the slide we showed you earlier is how the portfolio is positioned. It really has you know, more you know, a, a skew to the microcap um, part of the portfolio. And, and then if you look at that, how the portfolio is positioned and the performance of all those periods, and there's eight periods. You know, of um, you know, four years for each of the indexes, that Oscar and his team have outperformed you know, the small odds or the all odds in in nine of those. Um, sorry, in in um, seven of those eight periods. So, to me, I think the you know, Oscar and his team have done an exceptional job. I think the reason why the share price is where it is, it's been the contraction of um, the premium. Uh, to NTA, and it's been the fact that the board decided to keep paying those very high dividends. Um, and so we're because those dividends are paid out of, um, re, you know, the, cap, the profit reserve is a combination of retained profits, you know, realised profits um, and unrealised profits. And, you know, because we decided to keep at that level, we ended up paying out a number of, un, of the unrealised profits. So you, know, you as investors... Have got the, have got your capital back um, at at a fully frank on a fully frank basis. So that's where some like if we had halved the dividend, if we'd halved the dividend at the start of the GFC, then the then the NTA would be nearly thirty percent higher, and the share price would nearly be thirty percent higher, and we still would have been providing you with a dividend of, of about sixty percent higher than the market was giving you on a fully frank uh, basis. So I'd like to now pass over to Oscar. He'll talk to you about, you know, what what's you know what he's doing you know, with your money. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, and good afternoon, everyone. 
Look, before I start, I'd like to uh, reiterate Jeff's comments. Uh, as a team, we take great pride and responsibility in managing your, your money within WAM Capital. And I guess as, as fellow shareholders, we too are disappointed about how the share price has, has performed over the last 12 months. So as a reminder, the WAM Capital investment process is focused on identifying undervalued uh, growth companies with a catalyst. The six of us within the WAM Capital uh, team see over 4,000 companies a year but the vast majority of, of these companies focused in the small cap space, as Jeff, Jeff pointed out. Over the past 25 years, we've chosen to invest in small caps because these companies tend to be under-researched and generally have a catalyst that can drive the share price higher going forward. As Jeff pointed out, as it stands today, within WAM Capital, uh, we have zero, effectively zero exposure to large cap companies, which we define as the top 50 companies within, within the market. And as you can see in that slide, I think it's slide five, uh, the top 50 companies within the ASX actually make up around 70% um, of the Australian market. So despite a challenging 12 months, uh, we're pleased to report that the portfolio outperformed uh, over the 2023 financial year by just over, by, by around 3.5%. And this is a great effort given small caps underperformed for the second consecutive year running, with a headwind being just over 5% for the year. Our contributors to the portfolio included aged care operator Estia Health, which had a takeover bid in, in late March, and thankfully that takeover uh, looks like it is about to complete. And also uh, vessel operator Mermaid Marine, which upgraded earnings uh, several times throughout the year. As is common every year, we do have a lot of detractors, and uh, one of the largest detractors was Mars Group, uh, which is a building materials company focused in regional Australia. Um, the reason why that, they, that was a detractor had a number of earnings downgrades, largely due to the, the, the bad weather in the first half of the financial year. But we still own the business. Uh, we, we think uh, the market value of Mars Group's property is actually well above the share price, which means we're getting the operating business for free. And we actually see a very positive outlook for the company over the next two years. Now, over the last 25 years, we've had many periods where small cap companies have either underperformed or outperformed the broader market. Now, unfortunately, over the last two years, uh, it's been a very tough period where small cap companies have underperformed the market extensively. And you can see this in slide seven of the presentation. And you can see that most of this underperformance began in the March 2022 quarter, which was the start of the Russia-Ukraine war and also the start really when inflation started kicking off. Furthermore, capital markets activity has been really, really slow in the last two years. Um, and we have really haven't done many deals at all. And this impacts the market-driven side of WAM Capital. And so if you have a look at the 2023 financial year, we only participated in 20, 20 deals. In 2021, I think it was close to, so it was about 65. And in uh, 2020, it was over 70. So it was a big contraction in that, in that part of the portfolio. Now, pleasingly, we're starting to see light at the end of, end of the tunnel for small caps. And the most important thing that we've seen in some time was actually in the June quarter of 2023, it was actually the first quarter that small cap industrial companies, which is what, largely what WAM Capital invests in, actually outperformed the market for the quarter. So it's a really positive sign. And this has continued on, on into the 2023 financial year. And the sectors that we think look very interesting at the moment are those sectors exposed to the economy. And that's sectors such as retail, automotive, media and building materials. And it's because these sectors have been hit really hard in terms of the share prices over the last few years, and valuations look very attractive. These sectors are very important for the small cap market because these sectors actually contribute around 
um, of the small cap benchmark. So for small caps to outperform and do well, you need these sectors to go well. So an example of the value and the opportunities we're seeing, I thought it'd be good to talk about Harvey Norman, which is a, co a company we'll all know. It's a, a retailer uh, in household goods. Now, in June, the share price of Harvey Norman reached lows that were actually below the value of their property. And in fact, we've only actually seen this happen only, this is the third time we've seen this happen over the last 15 years. Now, what this means was when we were buying shares at Harvey Norman at around $3.20 a share, we were actually getting Harvey Norman's retail business, which does over $400 million of profit for free. Now, what's more, we need a catalyst to invest in WAM Capital. And if you look at Harvey Norman, the analysts that cover the stock have 20, they're in their 20, in their forecast for the company. If we look at 2025, which we think is the, probably the most normal period, um, we can we can we can benchmark to. The numbers there are actually lower than what they were before COVID in 2019. Now, in our view, the current environment, and as we go into 2025, we feel it's a lot better now than what it was in 2019. And we actually think Harvey Norman's taken a lot of market share over that period. So in our view, we think we're going to enter a pretty good time for Harvey Norman and for a number of the other retailers because earnings are too pessimistic. They're too negative. So we think we're going to enter into an earnings upgrade cycle and this should fuel the share price. So look, as Jeff touched on, there is a while to go in the August reporting season, so I'm not getting too excited. But pleasingly, um, you know, it does feel like the market is turning towards small caps and in particular those stocks exposed to the consumer. So companies such as Nick Scarley, Babcorp, GUD Holdings, Baby Bunting have all performed um, above expectations, which were, were negative and actually now it's slightly better, and seen the share prices go up as a result. And as, as Jeff said, out, the, we've outperformed over the first six, seven weeks of the um, financial year, and also the, the portfolio was up just a tad over 3.5% for the month of July. So in conclusion, we're very posit positive, the outlook for small caps. Uh, we're seeing a lot of opportunities that fit our investment process. And look, I'd love to um, obviously take the opportunity to thank all the shareholders, those on the call and not the call for all your support over the last few years. The team really appreciates it. So I'll now pass it on to Olivia and we'll, we'll I guess, get, get rolling on the, on the Q&A. Thanks, Oscar, and thanks, Jeff. And thanks to everybody who is sending your questions through. Um, please keep sending them. We are working through them in the background. Um, Jeff, I know that you've touched on the share price, but we are getting um, quite a few questions through from um, Matthew, Ian, Jeff, Swan, Daryl, um, just to name a few. I thought you could perhaps um, discuss that contraction in the premium that we've seen. Um, could you maybe talk through how Licks can trade at a premium in a discount to NTA and, and what you've seen with WAM Capital? Yeah. And, and can we put that slide up? Yes, now? yes. The, the, the premium and discount um, to NTA. And if you yeah. look at that slide, you know, when, when we floated WAM Capital you know, 24 odd years ago, for the first couple of years, we traded at a discount to NTA. You know, then um, when you know, people sort of, and, and that's when the people that put their money in the start weren't quite sure whether we'd perform or not. We ended up perform, performing really well for the first couple of years. Um, and then, you know, th then we started paying reasonable sized dividends. You know, then the share price uh, moved up to NTA and then went to a premium to NTA. Uh, and, and over the last, um, you know, the, and then you'll see, you know, that we got up to, I think at the highest premium NTA was, you know, three or so years ago, uh, and it was a little over 30%. 
So, so we're managing a dollar of assets, trying to get a performance on a dollar of assets, and that dollar of assets, you know, if you don't understand the premium, is trading at a dollar thirty. Uh, and what's happened in the last twelve months? You'll see on the um, actually, do you want to sh- put that the slide up? You know, the, the slide that shows the various performance, you know, the total shelter return, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the performance of the portfolio, you'll say, hold it, you're talking about how good the portfolio's performed and then you look at the total shelter return, see on that slide where it says, you know, for the 12 months, that's June to June, uh, we're down 4.5%. Now, that is with paying a uh, 15%, 15.5% fully frank dividend and that's not... Like a lot of people, you know, I know 60-odd, 60 to 65% of our shareholders are self-managed super, uh, and they get the franking credits back. But that isn't saying, that isn't putting a value, you know, sort of six or seven cents on those on those franking credits. I say if you probably, if you probably put the value of the franking credits in, then you're probably down over, the, over that period one um, or two percent. But you're saying, hold on, why am I down, you know, when the portfolio is up and the market's up? Uh, even and you're telling me the portfolio performed better than the market. It's actually the fact that we were at a you know, a 22 percent premium to NTA, and that premium has declined to about a five percent. Now, why do you trade at premiums and discounts? I mean, it, it is the market. You know, it's really supply and demand. Um, and, and you know, from various points in time, you know, we have traded at discounts and various points in time in premium. Yeah, will we go to a discount at some point in time? Yeah, the odds are we will. Now, will we will we be trading at a higher premium to NTA at some point in time? And the odds are we will. Now, what does a what does a company need to do? It needs to perform. It needs to provide a a, a good dividend, fully frank dividend stream, because the marginal buyer tends to be self managed super funds, uh, and it needs to you know treat shareholders fairly. And I suppose that's all companies need to do that. And the fourth thing is it needs to have a, a really detailed shareholder engagement communication uh, strategy. And that's where a lot of listed investment companies that floated over the last sort of five or six years um, have tended to go by the wayside because they really haven't committed the resources. And we have, you know, in that shareholder engagement, um, you, know, you know, communication, marketing um, strategy, we've probably, you know, we've got 11 or 12 people in, in that uh, area. So yeah, that's a that's a reasonable um, you know, dollar commitment. So that's broadly what you need to do. And and you know, the the you know, why is the share price, the total shareholder return, you know, not being good? It's because we were at a very high premium and now we're at a very small premium. Now, if the premium had stayed the same, uh, then you would have got the you know just the performance um, of the underlying portfolio uh, minus the fully frank dividends because a lot of people and, you know, I know even, you know, some, you know, some sort of professional investors that, that I know, not not stock market investors, but professional, you know, property investors, et cetera, um, don't realise that when you pay a distribution or, or a dividend, it has to come from somewhere. Um and, uh, and 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 yeah, and I think we've got some questions a little bit later about the sustainability of that. But I'll 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 leave that there, and I'll wait for those, Olivia. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Um, given that we we do have quite a few questions on um, the sustainability of the dividend, um, we've got some from Roslyn, Lyle, Sterling, Bruce, Michael, and a couple others. So I might 
um, stick with you and ask you just to talk through the profits reserve. Um, maybe you can talk about how that works, what, what the profits reserve actually is. I know you touched on that earlier, but just to reiterate, um, and what the outlook is for future okay. dividends. Yeah, and, and what we do is on our monthly NTA, I mean, we've, we've had profit reserves, you know, since when capital has started. Uh, and, you know, when we, you know, when we, before COVID, when we're doing our six monthly roadshows, um, you know, now it's one, sorry, it's, you know, now it's once a year, um, we were communicating to shareholders what the profit reserves are. And we thought, look, we just, let's just make it very simple and let's announce the profit reserves with our monthly NTA. So all, all shareholders know exactly how much is in the profit reserve. Um, what the profit reserve is, broadly, you know, say if we start with a, a you know, the company floated, starts with $100 million. The value of that $100 million goes to $110 million after tax, you know, so increased by $10 million. Then what the company, what we do is we put that $10 million, it may be realised or unrealised, yeah, if it's in a, we look at it monthly, um, and then yeah, the board decides to put that in a special reserve, um, and yeah, and that's that's where the profit reserve comes from. So our ability to pay a dividend, you need a, it needs to be retained earnings or comes from a reserve, um, and that's why we've created the profit reserve. Uh, and then for that fully frank, for that dividend to be fully franked, we need to have franking credits. Um, and, then, and we get them by paying tax or getting fully frank dividends. But the bulk of the franking we get is by paying tax. And we have been fortunate. Uh, um, the, we've done a number of takeovers over the, over the years and some of the companies we've taken over. You know, the primary benefit we, we make, the, the primary reason for those takeovers is because we get a better return um, you know, than just being in cash. Uh, and, and they've always delivered for NTA, you know, del increased the NTA of, the, of WAM Capital. Uh, if we hadn't done any of those um, takeovers, the NTA for WAM Capital would be lower than it currently is. Uh, and also in some of those takeovers, the secondary benefit has been, you know, there's been franking credits there as well, which we've been able to pass on to shareholders. So that's that's the profit reserve. And then our ability to continue... Yeah, paying the dividend, because the board decided at the start of COVID not to cut the dividend when people were, uh, and then because the portfolio fell, um, you know, then, um, you know, th then the, you know, the, the, the yield we're paying out is a lot higher. Now, some people, you know, might ask the question, well, yeah, and the question is how sustainable is that? If, if you go back to uh, 2022, you know, for that year, that was a tough year in the market. You know, and you'll see that on the performance data, you know, we're down that 18-odd percent. Um, and so that that was 35 cents, the 35.6 cents the NTA dropped by. So even if the um, even if the premium to NTA stayed the same, that's what the NTA dropped by. Then we paid out 15.5 cents, fully franked. So to, to pay that 15.5 cents fully franked, yeah, we would have needed probably another six cents of tax we would have had to pay. So that's where all of a sudden there's yeah, um, 50, 56 cents of NTA. That's the performance. But if you look at the, in 2021, the year before, um, you know, when I think at the start of, at the end of 2020, 2020 the NTA was about $1.59. Um, but in 2021, you know, 
Oscar and his team just just had a, a an extremely good year, um, and the portfolio uh, increased by you know fifty four cents. So all of a sudden, you know, the NTA has gone from you know a dollar sixty, you know, to two dollars, um, you know, what two dollars fourteen. Uh, so then, you know, then obviously, um, then then the dividend you're paying out, you know, say the fifteen and a half cents you know, on a dollar fifty nine versus you know two dollars, um, you know, a little over the two dollar level, the, the yield drops down. So, um, you know, our ability to continue to pay fully frank dividends is our ability to continue to grow that profit reserve. Back in two thousand, we thought, you know, like we might. You know, be going to have to cut that dividend, um, but we've been able to you know, continue to make profits. And to me, I take my hat off to Oscar and his team um, because if they'd only performed in line with the market, yeah, then then we wouldn't be we wouldn't have the profit reserve or the ability to pay the dividends we currently have. Um, so that's um, I think that covers that off, Olivia. And and like there might be there's been a, you know, a number of people that have send these questions in, there might be nuances in that answer that, that um, you want more clarification on or you'd like to ask an additional question, you know, please feel free to uh, you know, send them in because this is, you know, we're here, we're reporting to you, it's your company, you own the company um, and we'd like to you know, allow you to fully understand you know, what's happening and how it's operating. Thanks very much, Jeff. Um, Oscar, we're going to turn to you now for a couple of questions. We'll stick with you for a bit. Um, the first one that's come through is from David. Do you have any views on AMO? I think that's Embertech. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, look, we came across it a few years ago. I think it had a good year sort of coming out of COVID. I think it was a distributor of AV products from memory. Um, it was very, very small for us. We haven't seen them for a long time. So I, I must admit, I don't, I don't have a view on them at the moment, but um, always happy to learn about some new new companies if, if you'd like to have a chat at some point. So, um, yeah, so sorry, I can't really give you a good answer, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't seen them for a long time. Thanks, Oscar. And the next one is from Graham. Uh, will you be investing in the private company Agros, who are in competition to CSL? Yeah, so the, the answer there is no. We we only really focus on listed companies, and as we sort of discussed before, we focus on small cap companies. So you la- CSL, um, you know, has, uh, has, certainly my time at Wilson Asset Management's never been in the portfolio. So um, that's probably more Wham Leaders' uh, domain is, is a company like CSL. Thanks very much, Oscar. Um, and the next one, uh, this is from Steve. Is City Chic a company you would consider for the portfolio at the current prices? Yeah, I mean, it's been a funny one, this one. Um, you know, it was our best stop for about, oh, God, two or three years in a row, really, um, across Wham Microcap and Wham Capital. And, um, you know, obviously had a huge COVID bump, uh, you know, and we got it wrong. Um, you know, one of our worst stocks really last year. Um, you know, been in top five worst stocks last year. Um, interesting enough, they, they they sold their troubled European business um, recently uh, over the last few weeks, and they're conducting a strategic review, which is always code for you know we're selling assets and, and reducing debt off the balance sheet or reducing inventory. So we bought a small position in in Wham Microcap. It's really too small now for Wham Capital. It's a, the market cap's fallen a lot, 
um, or the share price has fallen a lot, I should say. Um, so, yes, we got it there in there as a small small weighting within the microcap portfolio. So we'll wait and see what the management the board come up with, with with the strategic review at the result, which I assume is uh, next week sometime. Thanks, Oscar. That's great. Um, Jeff, we've got one for you from Warren. Um, what are your thoughts on Magellan? Uh, Magellan, there's, you know, there's probably two listed uh, Magellan mm-hmm. vehicles on the stock market. There's Magellan, the fund manager, and then, then there's a listed investment trust um, you know, that Magellan has. In terms of Magellan, the funds manager, you know, obviously you know, had a very difficult period with significant outflows. Um, you know, the, the, you know, we actually don't own it in it would probably where it would fit would be more likely in um, WAM Capital. Uh, I know Oscar and his team went to, vi- you know, did a company visit uh, recently. Uh, and we, you know, obviously what we're looking for is undervalued growth companies with a catalyst that's going to change the valuation. Yeah, you know, I'd assume, uh, well, you know, Magellan is probably doesn't come into that category of the under, an undervalued growth company. Uh, and then whether there's more a trading opportunity, you know, where the catalyst will change the valuation. Now, there has been a bit of noise, you know, reactive, you know, reactivists, um, you know, giving the company a bit of a hard time. Um, you know, so to me, yeah, we don't own it. You know, could there be an opportunity? Yes, there could. Um, in terms of the listed investment trust, you know, which trades at a discount to NTA, we actually bought that in, you know, WAM Strategic Value is a shareholder in that. It's, it makes up about 5 or 6% of WAM Strategic Value's portfolio. Uh, and, you know, WAM Strategic Value started buying that at about a 20, well, was buying it at around the 21%, 22% discount to NTA. Uh, now it's trading at about a 12% discount to NTA uh, and haven't been buying any recently. Um, the 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 catalyst, you know, the catalyst from WAM Strategic Values perspective is they think that at some point in time uh, there'll be there'll be it'll it'll trade to it you know very close to NTA, so it's you know it's already been a good investment, um, and you know the WAM Strategic Values shareholders hope it becomes an even better investment. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Um- and Jeff, we'll stick with you for the next one, which is from Connor. Um, he has stated that um, Wham does form a large part of his retirement nest egg. Like you said, we ha- we have a lot of self-funded retirees as shareholders. Um, he's asked, "Is it time to jump ship to a low-cost ETF?" So maybe you could touch on your thoughts on ETFs first. Yeah, I mean the the, the really um, the it. it it could, it could well be, you know, like to me where, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're managing the company on your behalf. You know, we're not going to tell you to buy or sell it. You know, that, that has to be your decision and you've got to weigh up the pros and cons of the two. Now, one is, um, you know, it, as I mentioned, that WAM Capital is now trading at about a 5% premium to NTA. So with, if you buy an ETF, you're actually getting an NTA. Now, the ETF... You know, you'd assume and what you'd hope that the ETF would give you the performance of whatever market you um, decided to to invest in. Uh, so, and and the um, dividends you'd get would be well if you did an index 
ETF, then you get a yield of about, um, was it 3.7 odd percent, yeah, which the market's giving you at the moment. Uh, and that would be, I think it's 56% franked. And so if you want a really small amount of franking um, and, and you want that market risk, yeah, then that's then an ETF uh, gives you that. You still get market risk with WAM Capital. Um, as I said, you are paying you know, a 5% premium. Um, you know, you're getting a significantly high yield at the moment. The question is, can we continue to deliver that? And and like if 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 I had a clear crystal ball, which you could tell me exactly what we're going to do, um, then I, I would I would tell you, um, yeah, the the our performance just depends. Yeah, the, the dividend we deliver to you will depend on our performance. Um, so to me, it's just not a it's not a black and white uh, decision. Uh, that's probably the factors that if I was you, I'd take into consideration. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, the next question that we have is from Roderick. Um, Roderick has two parts to his question. One is on the economy, um, which I'll give to Oscar, and then next is, is for Jeff, which is back to the dividends. Um, Oscar, Roderick has asked, um, in a, a recent uh, business meeting, it was said that we are currently um, in a stage of the business cycle, which is why the share price has declined. Um, can you maybe comment on where you think we are now in the economic cycle and maybe what your outlook is for the Australian economy? Yeah, I th I'll talk about sort of the economy um, and how that relates to the fund, which I think the question is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was just talking then, you know, about five minutes ago about how we're really bullish on sectors exposed to the economy, such as, you know, automotive, retail, et cetera. Um, now, clearly that seems a bit odd given, you know, all the negativity we're seeing in the papers and on the TV and so forth about, you know, the upcoming recession, costs, um, you know, the, the switch from fixed rate mortgages to variable, et cetera. Um, and that's right. Um, we think it's we're going to enter a very hard period for, for, for companies. There's no doubt about that. And we're seeing that in the, in the current results. Now, the beauty about what we do for our job is the market always looks 12 to 18 months in advance. And, you know, the, the example I gave for, say, Harvey Norman, for instance, um, this year I think, you know, they'll do around $400 million of profit, I think it is. Um, the year before, they were doing they were doing well over 600. So, and if we look for the, the analysts that cover the stock, we've got profits declining for the next two years. Now, what we've seen this reporting season is actually a number of the companies the rate that are exposed to the economy, the numbers haven't been as bad as expected. And because these companies are very cheap and their share prices had already fallen quite a lot, we're seeing the share prices recover because effectively people are looking through the cycle, looking forward and going, okay, well, yes, we understand this period is going to be very difficult. But maybe in this, you know, as we get, get to the new year of 2024 and into 2025, things are going to get better and we're going to see growth again. And that's sort of what we've, we've been aiming for in the portfolio. And, and as I said before, that's, that's exactly what's played out. So another example is Nick Scarley. Um, you know, that, that they did a profit just over $100 million for the, the 2023 financial year. Um, the analysts that cover the, follow the stock had profits falling to 70 and then 70 the year after. Now, Nick Scarley had a great result. Um, synergies are coming through. It wasn't as bad as people feared. And those, those numbers have gone, instead of 70, they've gone up to 75 and now 85. And as a consequence, the shares are up, you know, 20, 25%. Um, over the last few uh, few weeks, so that's sort of the game. That's we're in that's we're in the game looking forward. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and certainly if, you know, Jeff talked about our, our performance versus the small cap benchmarks, um, you know, over the last 12 months, stocks exposed to consumer have been a very low percentage of the portfolio. And that's one of the reasons why we actually outperform the small ordinaries index. So we're now going to a period where we think those stocks are cheap. They've got catalysts. I think the share prices are too low and are due for a rebound. So that's what we position the portfolio in um, into this reporting season. But don't get me wrong that the economy is going to have a very tough period. Um, I think all the feedback, and last thing I'll say, I've been talking too much, but last thing I'll say is um, all the feedback we get on the ground is we just need confidence. The consumer just needs confidence that rates are going to stabilise. So I think from our perspective, we're not even looking for rates to fall. We just need them to stabilise and people can readjust their budgets and then sort of start again. So um, how about I leave it at that? That might draw out a few more questions, yeah. but um, I'll leave it at that. That was great, Oscar. Thank you. We appreciate all the detail. Um, and, yes, I will stick with you just for one more question before we get to the, that second part of Roderick's question. Um, you very quickly touched on interest rates. We've had um, questions from Gary and Vladimir um, what do you expect the RBA to do next? Good question. Uh, I must admit, I thought they were going to pause uh, back in April and I got that wrong. Um, look, I, I still think they're going to pause. I, I really do because I, I think there's just so many much uncertainty with what this fixed variable shift in, in, in um, mortgage rates will, will happen. I mean, it's interesting to see sort of the cohorts of um, – I guess the demographics that are really being impacted now, and as younger people are getting really hurt with rental increases and and um, obviously mortgages and so forth. Um, actually, older people are doing quite well through this period, so it is, it is quite a divergence. But um, yeah, overall, I think there's still too much uncertainty, um, and I think as well what we see on the ground as well is is you know this has come up this reporting season is a lot of the logistics and freight costs and sea freight, and ocean freight, etc which has been a big driver of the inflation over the last two years, is now really starting to come off and is actually now back at pre-COVID levels. Um, so I think, and, and, you know, we're starting to see, I think yesterday with the jobs number, um, with wage growth was slightly lower than expectations, 3.6%. So it's starting to normalise, which is great. Um, and we think they've done enough, um, at, the, at least at this stage, um, in, in relation to cash rate. So, look, we think they'll be on hold. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and Jeff, back to you just for that second part of Roderick's question. Um, can we continue to pay out such a high dividend or will it dilute the shares? Um, thanks for the question. It, it actually, um, yeah, say if we were, let, let me give you an example. Say we've got a, a, a dollar of assets. Oh, yeah, at the moment. Yeah, say we've got a dollar 45 of assets. And we're paying a fifteen and a over a twelve month period. We're paying a fifteen and a half cent fully frank dividend. Then, like that comes from the assets. So effectively, um, you know, for us to pay that dividend, if it's fully franked, we would have had to pay either received, you know, fifteen and a half cents per share in franking credits from other companies, which we don't, um, or paid tax. You know, paid. Yeah, you know, six or um, yeah, you know, what is it? Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, about about four and a half, five cents of tax um, to allow you to um, you know pay that pay it as a fully frank dividend. So yeah, it would reduce your NTA by the amount of dividends um, 
you know, that you pay. As I, as I mentioned earlier, that if if the board decided, you know, in two, at the start of COVID where everyone was cutting their dividends, if the board halved the dividend, then the NTA would be um, you know, 27.9% higher now. Like the NTA, instead of being $1.42 at the end of June, would be $1.82. But you wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have received, um, you know, 31 cents yeah, in fully frank dividends. So, you, you know, if you, over those four years, you've received, you know, effectively 62 cents in fully frank dividends, which to pay out 62 cents fully franked is, um, you know, you've effectively got to pay another, uh, what is it, um, you know, about three by six, three, about 18 cents. You know, there's, you, we would have had to make, about 80, 80 cents at the pre-tax level to do that for shareholders. So now if we didn't pay that out, the NTA would be 80 cents higher. But then you probably wouldn't be that happy. Thanks for that, Jeff. Um, Oscar, the next question is for you from Greg. Um, in terms of agricultural companies in uh, WAM Capital's top 20, could you please explain why you hold Ridley and Select Harvest and not elders or new farm? Good question. I must admit, I ask myself every day why we own Select Harvest. Um, anyway, um, but look, simple, simple reason is, um, look, Ridley and Select Harvest, we always want to own, agri like the starting point with agriculture is, um, you know, you want to own these companies when it's really dry and you want to sell these companies when it's effectively really wet. Now, I know that sounds very simple, um, but that's just fact. Um, and... Elders and New Farm went through an incredible period through COVID, both companies. Um, you know, there was a big shortage of, of chemicals and um, uh, fertilisers and so forth, which drive a lot of pricing uh, price increases, and, they, and both companies uh, really benefited from that. And if you think about the east coast of Australia's, you know, effectively had amazing conditions, really, uh, for some time through La Nina, and actually, you know, it feels like we're entering into El Nino now. So... Both those companies, uh, you know, particularly if we focus on Australia, probably had profits that were probably they were super profits effectively. Now, we did we, we did really well out of Elders through 2020 and 2021. We sold it. Um, we liked the business. Nothing wrong with it. Same with New Farm. Um, we just thought they were at peak earnings. Now, on the on the flip side, Ridley and Select Harvest. So, Ridley um, basically is, is a manufacturer of of call it feed uh, for animals. Um, they clearly there's been great conditions on the ag side. Um, so there's less demand, let's call it for feed than what there would be in dry times. So that's a good starting point for that business. And in Select Harvest's case, um, it's probably the only commodity um, globally that hasn't seen an increase over this period, which is almonds. Um, and that's largely due to because California, which is a large almond producer, well, the largest almond producer in the world, is about 70% of volume has um, had a record a record crop in 2021 and it's just brought the price down. Now, for start of, now we're on Select Harvest. So Select Harvest, the value of their assets is around $6 a share and it's currently $4.50 today. Now, for us, we're happy to wait there with Select Harvest. We know at some point we'll see an average almond price. They've had a lot of headwinds this business. And once we see that, we think, you know, we're effectively getting or it's about it's about a 25%, 25, 30% discount to its NTA right now, which is great. 
And then once the earnings come through, we think that will drive earnings upgrades at some point. We're not going to see it as yet, but at some point we'll see it. And then on the Ridley side, um, this has been a turnaround. We've owned the business for just over three years. It's been a great turnaround um, with the new with its new CEO. Um, got its result tomorrow, so fingers crossed it's a good result. Um, but effectively, if you look at the company, we think there's earnings upgrades that will continue. It's on cheap valuation of around 12 times earnings, and it has a net cash balance sheet. So we do actually think there will be acquisitions uh, in due course. So long answer again, but hopefully that gives you a flavour as why well. we own sort of Ridley and Select Harvest over the other two. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and Jeff, we'll go to you next. Um, and this next question, um, I think you actually had a whole other webinar on, but um, it's from Gary. Could you discuss what is the legislation agenda for franking credits? And maybe yeah. you want to just touch on the advocacy that we've done recently. Uh, yeah, and, and sorry, the, the exact question, because I just want to make sure I answer the question. Yeah. So he yeah. said, what is the legislation agenda for imputed oh, okay. credits? Yeah. yeah, okay. So it's gone through, it's, it's waiting to go through the Senate. Uh, there's the, in the bill, there's two parts of the bill that we're, um, you know, we think the current government is making a big mistake with, uh, and that's the, um, you know, Chapter 4 and Chapter 5. And please, um, if anyone is in, uh, it, well, the, it's, it, it needs to go through the Senate. It looked like it was on the agenda to go through the Senate a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it didn't make it. Um, so it'll probably be up for debate and voting in September, you know, when, when they, the Senate next sit in uh, September. Now, we are trying to get it um, adjusted. That's for Chapter 4 and Chapter 5. We were successful in getting the Senate inquiry. At the Senate inquiry, the conclusion was Chapter 5 needs some work. Um, unfortunately, they didn't, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the, they didn't pay attention to Chapter 4, which means any company that's listed on the stock market that does a buyback, whether it's on market or off market, will lose franking credits. Any company that's not listed on the stock market that does a buyback, obviously if you're not listed, it'll just be an off-market buyback. If you're not listed, you will not lose franking credits. Um, what we need, if, if anyone is in uh, David Pocock's electorate, or Jackie Lambie's electorate, uh, any of the any of the senate those senators, you know, we're talking to their advisers. You know, we'll try to speak to them again when it gets up into the Senate, um, because what we're trying to do is get the legislation changed, so there are no significant unintended consequences. Uh, so that's pretty much where it is. Um, whether we'll succeed or not, like we'll try as hard as we can. Um, you know, this is this is a lot more nuanced than you know back in two thousand nineteen. What we're really concerned about is it's sort of it's the thin edge of the wedge. You know, if um, you know, if effectively the government gets away with changing this legislation, which will negatively impact companies with franking, and I'm not sure if anyone here as a shareholder uh, in in um, uh, was it the old uh, EAI. Um, you know, that was a listed investment company that decided to give its money, you know, turn itself into a trust uh, and wanted to pay out a fully frank dividend. Uh, and 
the tax office said they can't and because that will get caught up in Chapter 4 of the legislation, now, which really is just incredibly unfair. Um, so it'll make the, the stock market, you know, everyone here who's on the call likes investing in the stock market. It, it makes the stock market less attractive for companies to list on. So you'll get less and less opportunities to uh, and invest. Um, but, yeah, to me it's very frustrating and very annoying uh, and, and we'll keep committing significant resource to do that. And a lot of people think, you know, that that uh, you've got to remember the, the in terms of, um, you know, the impact, you know, that it has on any of the pools of capital that are managed, you know, you know any advocacy work we do has no impact um, on the, you know, the various, you know, on WAM Capital or WAM Leaders, you know, any of those companies. Yeah, because the, the people that are managing the money, Oscar and his team, continue to do that. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and we did have a follow-up question, which you've just touched on there. Um, so maybe you just want to reiterate, is there a specific impact? This is from Vladimir. Will there be a specific impact on WAM Capital um, for the future ongoing growth story, profitability um, and ability to pay dividends with the franking legislation? No. Okay. It, um, it, what it does, well, effectively, it's, it, it's pretty much like a, um, it's, it's, it's like we are all, ourselves and everyone who's on this call and every investor in the Australian market, um, you know, assuming this legislation goes through as is, isn't changed, then it'll reduce, it'll just slowly reduce the pool of franking credits that you could get access to. So there won't be any significant hip pocket nerve yeah, it'll be you, you're just the frog sitting in the water that's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and then eventually, eventually, the the, cons, the big thing that concerns me, eventually, the government will say, look, the franking system doesn't work like you know, Paul Keating you know, wanted it when it was put in. Let's get rid of it, and that's what happened. There was a similar system in the UK, and it lasted 26 years. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, we'll go back to you. This question is from David. Um, what are your views on the direction of interest rates in and economic growth in the US and Australia? Um, and also if you could comment on um, your views for the direction of growth in China. Those are two that big questions. Very big question, very big question for um, a small cap investor like myself. But um, I, I look, we do a lot of traveling and um, to get an idea of what's what's going on outside of Australia, because a lot a lot of the time what's going on in Europe and United States is a lead indicator for what happens in Australia. And I went to uh, the UK and Jeff was actually there at the same time um, back in June. Uh, my colleague, Sean, who's on our calls within the WAM Capital team, uh, he, he was in the United States for two weeks, as was John Ayub from the WAM Leaders team as well. And I think when we all came back, our feeling was, and, you know, that was a tough time in the market and the huge fears of recession in, in Australia. And I think when we went over to Europe and US, we came back thinking, you know, it's, it's probably not too bad. And particularly in the United States, you know, new house uh, home construction and uh, new house sales and so forth was extremely strong um, at that period of time, which has been reflected into in some results in James Hardy's result, which was a couple of weeks ago. So, look, in summary, we think, look, economic... Will we go into recession? Look, I think the US is probably in a better place than Australia right now. Um, 
time will tell. It's 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 hard to know. It's very choppy. Um, you know, if you asked me a week ago, I might might have said no. But then, you know, again, retail sales came in slightly higher than expectations last night. So it again, uh, raises questions around whether rates are going to be increased or not. But I think for both the US and Australia, we think rates will stay flat. We think um, the the hiking cycle's done enough. Um, but it'll be an, it'll be a wait and see, and as we've seen over the last few years, it's it's a month by month proposition. And on the economic growth side, yeah, I think I think economic growth will be stronger than what people think, um, because it just feels that like consumers just have more in their back pocket and 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 are sort of are more willing to spend. Um, and we've seen that in particular with travel, how strong the travel market has been as well. So yeah, look. In summary, we think it's probably on the economic growth side of things, it's probably better than what people have originally thought. We think interest rates are hold for now, but it's a watching brief. Um, on China, oh, who knows? Um, look, China. I mean, look, the, all all the 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 data and um, I guess the feedback is you know we've had Country Garden, one of the largest property developers, in a bit of strife in the last few weeks. Look, it's all driven by what. The government decides to do around stimulus, and um, you know we don't really fo- we don't focus at all on on the iron ore majors. Um, you know, within that, what we invest in with WAM Capital, and in fact, our portfolio really outside of a few consumer stocks doesn't really have that much of an exposure in China. But don't get me wrong; it impacts the Australian dollar, which impacts other uh, companies we invest in. But um, but yeah, I think look, the rhetoric is very negative. Um, so, but when on the you know. On the other hand, when it gets really negative, then people start talking about stimulus. So, um, and that's what we think is happening now. So, you know, wouldn't be surprised if the government launches um, a stimulus of some kind, and and that will obviously be very good for the iron ore majors, which, as I said before, we, we don't necessarily own. Thanks, Oscar. Um, Jeff, we'll go back to you. This question is from Bruce. Is there any intention of having a share purchase plan in the future? Uh, look, obviously that's a board decision. Uh, there's no intention at the moment. The I think from the board's perspective, that want the profit reserve to be to be a bit bigger. Yeah, before um, that was thought of. Um, yeah, so to me it would be yeah not until pretty comfortable that we could see at least a year, a year and a half of profit reserve and dividend, um, even if that was, even if it made sense to do a share purchase plan. And I, I don't know if it's on here, but, um, you know, I'm, I've had them before. Uh, the what, what we've done historically, we haven't done share purchase plans. We've used um, the share price premium and taken over other companies uh, and the when we do that, then it's we actually it actually boosts the NTA because you're raising money at a premium to NTA, and you also get a secondary benefit of picking up additional franking credits. Thanks, so, yeah. Jeff. Um, we've got a follow up question to that um, from Caesar. Do you think the share price dropped after Wham Capital absorbed West Oz and Ozgrowth? Uh, well, the I think the the share price, the, well, the share price dropped effectively after we've made various takeovers, um, and we've issued shares in those new companies, whether it's um, Amazon, 
you know, West Oz, um, you know, any of the any of the companies that we've taken over, there, there has been some softness in the share price. The the unfortunate thing is the West Oz and Oz growth. Um, it just it coincided with uh, COVID and the pandemic, and and really that that really tough year, you know, where the market fell significantly. So to me. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, there's usually some short-term um, weakness uh, in, in share price, which then usually bounces back. Uh, and and um, you know, with the West Oz, Oz growth, uh, even though it, it increased the NTA uh, and it increased the uh, – sorry, and it was positive. You know, we picked up you know, franking credits as a secondary benefit. The um, – yeah, I think the the share price kept coming under pressure because of um, you know what was happening you know, in in the yeah in the mid and small sector uh, and and the you know, the overall stock market. Yeah. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, back to you. This question is from Howard. Is there further upside in Kelsian, Kelsian Group? Yeah, we think it is. We own it. Uh, it's in the research part of the portfolio. Um, business has changed a lot over the last five years. It used to be effectively a, a ferry and, and tourism operator. Um, it bought, um, well, effectively had a reverse takeover of, of um, uh, with the Australian bus and international bus business. So now about 75% of their earnings is now in sort of in, in buses, which is more dependable, less cyclical, defensive-style business almost like an infrastructure asset. And the business recently purchased a, a, another bus business in the United States, which has got a good, strong exposure to all, all the gas markets. Uh, we think that business is doing particularly well. Um, so we actually think the business uh, reports next week, uh, potentially could see some earnings upgrades around that, around that acquisition. Um, very good management team, defensive business. Um, so yeah, we, we, we quite like it. It's in, in, in research. Um, yeah, it's a good business. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and this next one um, could be for you or Jeff, um, but John has asked TGP, I believe that's 360 Capital Group. Um, he says they're currently trading well below their NTA um, and it has cash on its balance sheet. Is this a company that Wham or War might look at as a takeover target? We have owned TGP in the past, um, a long time ago. I think it was 2016, 2017. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a difficult stop for us because, yeah, it was, it, as Jeff often says, sometimes you can buy a company at a discount to NTA, but the discount actually widens, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and so potentially, uh, I won't uh, answer for Jeff, he might jump in, but it could, be an, it could be an opportunity for war, but you need to see the management team actually want to do something about that uh, discount to NTA. And back then, which is about five years ago, we didn't see evidence of that, so we, we sold that position. You know, you know it's, it, and, and it's, you know, we've, we've really got to try to identify a catalyst that's going to change that valuation. That's, you know, that's the important thing from our perspective. Thanks, Jeff and Oscar. Um, Jeff, we'll stick with you. The next one, um, given the state, uh, this is from Andrew, given the state of funds management outflows across the sector, how are you finding cash flows and withdrawals from the funds? And do you think that higher interest rates are going to have an ongoing impact to fund managers moving forward? 
The last part first, there's no doubt. Like if, if you can get on term deposits 5, 5% or you know, something around there, which, which we're getting at the moment, you know, for the cash that we have that isn't invested in the market, then you're getting that without taking any risk. Um, you know, in terms of the economy, you know, it looks like in the last couple of months the domestic economy in Australia has really slowed down. You know, that we're seeing some really, you know, from retail, some really um, good evidence to you know, confirm all that. Uh, and yeah, you know, it looks like you know, there is a reasonable probability we'll have a recession. You know, whether that's yeah, you know, whether we do have a recession or not, or it's a significant slowdown the next you know, six to nine months. I mean, one of the things about the stock market, the stock market does move in advance of that. And I think Oscar was talking about you know, that that in terms of looking through that cycle. And and the other side of that will be like June next year, we're going to get the tax cuts. So that will be that will be um, you know, quite positive. Uh, in terms of you know, just getting back to our position, in you know, we manage listed investment companies. You know, one of the reasons I know the question before, you know, there was an earlier question about ETFs versus listed investment companies, and also there's a question about managed funds versus listed investment companies. One of the reasons why I was very uh, you know, 24, 25 odd years ago, I, you know, effectively there was a choice. I could have um, set up an open-ended fund business or I could have set up a listed investment um, you know, listed investment company business. Now, we started with an open-ended fund, which is our first fund, and we've still got it, and then we developed listed investment companies. You know, we actually think there is, is probably an opportunity for other um, open-ended funds um, one of the interesting things is a listed investment company tends to have a competitive advantage over some of those open-ended funds because if you're investing in small and mid-sized companies, you're, you're never going to have redemptions or um, you know, money flowing in or money flowing out. Now, you were saying there's quite a bit of money flowing out of fund managers at the moment. Was it an observation you were making you know, into the cash? And that maybe, maybe that is one of the reasons why our premium NTA has declined from that 22% to where it is now. I think one of the reasons why our premium NTA has declined is because we're paying at such a high fully frank dividend. People don't realise you know, the, the, how valuable that fully frank dividend is and how we um, pay it. So the more people we can educate, and that's why we're having this call, as well as we'll have another call you know, with Oscar and his investment team you know, later on this year, you know, just talking more about stocks. Um, so, yeah, so we don't get negatively impacted by inflows and outflows for, for, for the money we manage, but that does provide opportunities. You know, there was a period a, few, a number of months ago where a lot of the big managers, there was a lot of money coming out of small caps, and that's when the small cap sector was getting you know, sold down significantly, and that can provide some great opportunities. So that's sort of my answer uh, to that, Olivia. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, the next question is for you. It's from Howard. Would you consider increasing the portfolio weighting to the ASX top 100? Thanks, Howard. Um, no is, is the answer. I mean, we want to stick to our knitting and stick to the process that we've done for over 25 years. And interestingly enough, if you actually looked at the portfolio today, and Jeff put up the slide where it showed that you know the vast majority of the companies we own are outside of the top 100 companies, right? Now, if we went back, if we went back in time to 2015 and 2016, 
we would have had a greater exposure to the micro cap part of the market. So we actually made a conscious decision, um, which was in the back end of 2018, which was effectively the first bear market uh, we saw and it coincided with Tobias and I starting up and running the portfolio together, which has been fortuitous given we've, we've seen three bear markets in five years. But, you know, we, we that was a tough period for us and we made a conscious decision that, at that point to increase the liquidity of the portfolio. So, um, so if you have a look at the average market capitalization within WAM Capital, it's actually a lot higher now than it was um, five or six years ago. We actually envisage that going down in the next in the next twelve to twenty four months because we are optimistic small cap companies. So look, the answer is we don't want to get away from our knitting. We're we're good at finding undervalued companies with a catalyst um, that are under researched. That which no one's looking at, um, we think we can get in there before our competitors and that's where we, we get most of the games. And as I said earlier, there's going to be some years, the 2022 financial year was probably the hardest year we've ever experienced. And, you know, that March quarter of the Russia-Ukraine war, I remember coming on doing a call straight afterwards and it was crazy. Like we had we had a really good reporting season that, that February and all of our stocks were going down 10 15% and you sort of couldn't do anything. And... Um, you know, it was incredibly frustrating. Now, that was a really hard period, um, you know, and as I said, it's been a tough period for smalls over the last two years, but that could easily reverse. Um, and we think we're about to enter that period in the next few years. So um, to answer your question, um, no, we're going to st stick to what we're good at and focus on small caps. Thanks very much, Oscar. Um, the next question is, again, for you, Oscar, it's from Stefan. How much cash can you go to in cases of extreme market volatility? Thanks, Stefan. Well, we can go as high as we want. Um, so in COVID, we, we, when COVID began um, February uh, 2020, you know, we're in the middle of reporting season that period of time where we're you know, very much um, exposed to the market because we see a lot of catalysts. And we were at 15% cash. Um, you know, we, we got onto, I call it, you know, there was probably a few, could have acted a little bit earlier, but relatively we acted probably appropriately. And I remember that sort of the 20th of February or so, um, we made the decision to go to cash. And we went to, over that two-week period, we, we ended up at at, its, at the peak levels, we were at 43% cash. Um, and then, the you know, we got back into the market very, very quickly after that point where it, was, it became clear that, um, you know, all stimulus and so forth would, would, would improve a number of companies within a number of sectors. So... To answer your question, no, you know we, we can vary the cash. Um, you know, I've said on this on this call before. Um, you know, in the 2022 period, um, you know, we had a decision: do we stay in the market or do we own cash? Um, we stayed in the market, and that was largely because the, all the like around I think it was about at the time about 50 or 60 percent of the companies we invested in had net cash balance sheets, so it's more cash than the debt on their balance sheet. So we were of the view that. The inflation that we were seeing was shorter term. Yeah, you know, we had no idea that the Russia-Ukraine war would linger on like it did, um, and so we took the view that we'll see through this over the next few months. Now, unfortunately, it didn't plan. It didn't um, happen that way. But in saying that, though, you know, as we talked about earlier in the call, we've had a great year in the 2023 financial year, and if we had too much cash to close out the 2022 financial year, we wouldn't have had the performance that we've had in 2023. So. Looking back on it, um, look, we're, we're happy with the decisions we made. Although, it, you know, it, it, it you know it doesn't look good on paper that 2022 financial year. Um, but um, yeah, as I said, we, we 
depending on the outcome, what, what we think is, if, if it's a really, we think the, mar- the market's really, really negative, we, we, we will go to cash 100, 100%. Thanks, Oscar. Um, oh, Jeff, now, the- now, hey, Oscar, so did you say you'll go to 100% cash? <laughs> I know about that. You uh-huh. said you'd go to cash 100%. Well, <laughs> I said 100% as in we will go to cash. <laughs> context. But, yes, don't interpret it as 100% cash. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm just trying to think what in 20 years. Oh, you never go to 100%. <laughs> no, you never go to 100. But what would you, what you would have been 60, 70 or whatever at one point? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I'm trying to think if uh, yeah, probably 60. The problem is you're only there for a, a little while because it's, it's close to capitulation. Yeah, when you know you're high on your cash, you know it's close to capitulation. So you want to start moving back pretty quickly, don't you? That's right. And that's what happened in COVID because I always remember it. We were, you know, it was a really hard time. We're all at home and everything was really negative. And I remember Cochlear was the first company that raised money and it was a billion dollars. And we didn't own shares in Cochlear. And it was sort of, that was like literally the turning point. And we tried, we, we bid into the capital raise and we got zero. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that means everyone's cashed up. They're ready to go now. So that was, yeah. I think we weren't at 43% cash for long. <laughs> Thanks for that, guys. Um, Jeff, this next one is for you from David. Uh, David's asked, from a dividend security aspect, why shouldn't I be selling WAM in reinvesting in WAX, given that they operate similarly, but WAX has a big profits reserve and a good franked dividend yield? Yeah, well, then you've got to look at the premiums to the two. So we, our WAX currently, I think, is about a, you know, as 22 23% premium to NTA. So you're taking that risk. You're buying the assets above what they're worth. Um, where, and, and I accept you've got more, you know, more profit reserve. Um, I, ideally, what you want to do is buy illicit investment companies trading below NTA, has profit reserves and franking, and you're confident that the... The people managing it will be able to get it to trade at NTA, if not a premium. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, we'll go back to you. Um, Joel has asked, what about Strandline Resources? Do you see any growth for that company? Yeah, we we, we participated in the recent capital raising um, just in, in, within WAM microcap. Um, we think it's been through the the difficult uh, point of commissioning uh, with their mine, um, and they've had a few ramp ramp up issues there at Coburn. So, we actually think the stock's looking really cheap. It's a small position in where microcap, um, you know, Cooper and Will, um, who, who are analysts are there, really really like the stock. So we, we, we've got a small weighting. It's about 0.25%. We're going to meet management um, over the next reporting season and and work out what what we do with it up to that point. Thanks, Oscar. Um, we've got quite a few um, stocks coming through. Um, Adrian has asked, there's some new additions to the WAM portfolio. Would you run through what DUG technology does? Yeah, so, I mean, all, always through reporting season, you're always looking for new ideas in the portfolio. Um, you know, one, one of them which we really like and see a lot of upside is, is a company called Light and Wonder. Um, it's actually the number two uh, player or competitor to an ASX-listed company, well-known uh, large-cap company called Aristocrat in Australia, and it's the, actually the ex- uh, Aristocrat Management. 
um, actually upgraded earnings um, over reporting season, um, seeing its balance sheet uh, delever as well, um, is trading on a valuation that's 30% cheaper than Aristocrat. So we really like that. That's one of the larger positions in the portfolio now. Uh, as I touched on before, we've got a number of retail yeah, retailers in the portfolio that we've added that we bought in, um, through that June period when it was re- really weak. So Harvey Norman, uh, Nick Scarly is is one that's done really well for us um, as well. So yeah, always looking for ideas, but I'd say for the most part, the portfolio is pretty similar uh, to what it was when you saw it at the annual report in June. Um, DUG Technology, actually, very excited about this company. It's, it's done very well for us in the microcap portfolio. It's got a strong exposure to oil and gas markets. So effectively what it does is it's, it's called a, a supercomputer that sort of uh, looks at seismic activity in, in offshore uh, oil and gas uh, deposits. And um, obviously it's a very strong oil and gas market at the moment. Um, the stock was very, very cheap when we bought it. I think it was on 10 times earnings. And it's won a lot of work, and um, I think the share price has doubled over this point in time. So we're quite excited to see this company um, report its result uh, in August, um, and we're sitting sort of just over four percent of the company at the moment. But um, yeah, potentially could go quite a lot higher. So yeah, we we really like this one, and it's definitely one to watch in August. Thanks, Oscar. Um, another stock for you. Um, this question is from Bill. What are your thoughts on Bestin Global Foods? which was a past holding in oh, the um, Yeah, no, we're out of that one, thankfully. <laughs> Probably not our finest achievement um, over the last few years. Um, look, there was a turnaround story there, but it's a very difficult business. And dairy just generally has just been hammered with costs, higher costs and um, actually falling uh, uh, milk prices globally. So, no, we're not there. And the structure of the, um, the corporate structure of the business just wasn't right. Um so, yeah, no, we're not there, not there in Best in Foods. You'd have to see a monumental change for us to go back there. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Jeff, we'll go back to you. Howard has asked, do you have any plans to expand your WAM Capital Board or investment team? Well, the board, no, we're pretty happy with the board and the quality of the board. Um, yeah, we've got some really good quality board members, um, you know, from – our chief technology officer at very senior levels to um, you know, lawyers that you know, do a lot of work within the you know, crypto um, blockchain space. So um, plus you know, the, the people with various other financial services expertise. So pretty happy with the board. In terms of um, the investment team, you know, already I think, Oscar, you know, I'll let you speak for that, but I would say you, you, you've got already a pretty big investment team compared to your competitors and you know, and what are your plans, Oscar? No, I think, I mean, we've got, there's six of us, so that um, myself, Tobias, as the portfolio managers, uh, Sean Wyke and Sam Kosh as senior equity analysts and um, Cooper Rogers and Will Thompson as uh, dealers and equity analysts. So that is a big team, the six of us. Uh, in charge of just over $2 billion in, in small caps and micro caps and that's Perfect, perfect number of people. Thanks, Oscar and Jeff. Um, Oscar, the next one is for you from Andrew. Um, he's interested to know your views on companies like Lovisa or Globe, which seem to be market darlings. Yeah, Lovisa is going to have a fascinating result this August. Um, you know, definitely a market darling. done incredibly well, rolling out a whole heap of stores uh, globally. It's one of the best global growth stories 
probably within the ASX. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to a challenging. It's going to have a challenging period in the next six months. There's no doubt about it. The, the demographic is, you know, younger people call it uh, in their twenties. Um, you know, which is really struggling at the moment. And they're coming up against some, you know, really strong comparable periods. Um, so we, we still own the company. Um, you know, at the, it, it's been sold off heavily. It was around $27. It fell to about 18 We bought some, we actually, lucky, it was one of our best stocks last year, even though it was a small position. We Lucky enough, we sold a lot at 27 and we are buying back at 18 um, So we do have a holding. It's not as big as what it was. Um, but yeah, we still think, you know, very good management team led by Brett Blundy, one of the best retailers in Australia. So yeah, we really like that one, um, uh, over the longer term, uh, globe, really, really good business. It doesn't trade. Um, we've tried to buy it many times in the micro cap fund, um, really, really well run. Um, and it's, it's a funny stock because it's, it's sort of like, I, I don't think, no, if anyone owns it really out of, in, out of our peers in, in, um, in the funds management world because it's very tightly held and so the stock doesn't really trade many shares on, on a year-to-year basis. But, but we always look at their results and they always perform very well. Um, it's just so small for us. It's really hard. We can't really even get any stock, even in the micro-cap fund. Olivia? I know we've been going for an hour and 25 minutes. Look, It could be you and me, Oscar. It could be. It could be. I think you've gone. Technology, technology yeah. might be failing us. The um, so do we have any other questions? Sorry guys, Sorry guys I'm back. Um, yeah. I was stuck on mute. Sorry about yeah. that. Um, we have another question from Niels. Uh, Oscar, this is for you. Um, he said Wham has re- recently bought into Rumble Resources. Um, do you want to explain your rationale behind that? Uh, that's not us. No, we haven't. That might be Wilson's advisory, the stockbroker, because I think they raised money recently. Um, no, we haven't. We definitely haven't bought into that company. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for that clarity there. Um, Dallas has asked Oscar, if you have any views on RFF. Um, look, generally REITs, um, this is real estate investment trust really isn't our domain. So I don't really have a view. All I can say is it's in the REIT sector generally, um, look, is looking very, very cheap. There's a lot of companies trading at uh, discounts to net, net tangible assets. Um, so look, yeah, again, you've got to find a catalyst to invest in these companies. And generally in the way we invest within WAM Capital, we're looking at industrial companies. So, and when we look at sort of um, in, in the sort of call it the property sector, we tend to like fund managers because um, there's more sort of dependable earnings and more catalysts because you can see earnings upgrades. So the company that we really the only real call it REIT or property company we own is is, is HomeCo, which the ticker is HMC. It's a large holding in, in, in WAM Capital and WAM Research. Um, but, yeah, sorry, they probably don't necessarily – I haven't seen RFF for a number of years, so I don't really have a view. I'm sorry. Thanks, Oscar. Um, Jeff, we've got one from Peter. Um, he says, how much duplication is there between shares held in WAM versus WAX, and what is the difference in those portfolio strategies? Yeah, so effectively WAM Capital was the – well, we started with the, an unlisted trust, and then we decide that was just for high net worths. And then we decided to let, um, you know, retail um, investors get, uh, you know, get exposure to the same strategy. And that was WAM Capital. 
and that's buying undervalued growth companies with a catalyst. And when we couldn't find those, then we'd sit in cash. And when we sat in cash, with that cash, we'd look at more short-term trading opportunities. Um, so WAM Capital is broadly half undervalued growth companies. That's We call that research um, with a catalyst. And the other half is short-term trading. We call that market-driven opportunities. Uh, then, then later on, we created another company which ended up becoming uh, WAX, you know, WAM Research, which is purely those undervalued growth companies that we're buying with a catalyst. And WAM Active, you know, we ended up floating, and that's purely you know, the trading part of the portfolio. Um, so, yeah, so if you buy one share in WAX or you buy, yeah, actually if you buy a share in WAX, then you get ha- effectively half a share in WAM Capital because you get exposure to that research part of the portfolio. And just to complicate things more, with WAM Active, you know, the part of that portfolio, 10% of that portfolio was buying LICs or, or discounted asset plays, which we decided to put you know, on its own, and that's when we created WAM Strategic Value. Thank Thanks, you. Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. That was great. Um, and uh, Phil has a question which which follows on nicely from that. Um, he's asked, can you run through what the WAM Capital pipeline looks like? And he, he's talking about this longer term. He says, can I stay invested for 10 to 20 years? I want to leave my current investment on set and forget. I don't care about the share price, only just that WAM will be around in 20 years' time. Can you touch on succession planning? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll make, I'll make, I'm pretty confident I'll make 20. So I'm 65. My dad made it to 85. So I thought probably, you know, I'm, I'm fitter than my dad. So I thought, probably thought mid 90s does me. Um, yeah, the, the plan would be for, yeah, you know, for all the listed investment companies to still be around um, in twenty years' time, uh, and in terms of you, you, if you're looking for a an undervalued, you know, sort of a fund manager that's focused on that mid and small, you know, growth sector, you know, that does obviously have a higher risk than the larger end of the market, um, and obviously higher risk than having it in you know, term deposits. Yeah, then, um, yeah, we're pretty comfortable. And if you do the share purchase plan, then you'd, you'll have a lot of dividends. Um, oh, sorry, you'll have a lot of shares by the yeah, in 20 years' time. Thanks, Jeff. Um, we'll flip back to Oscar for this next one. Um, Oscar, Guy has asked, what lithium and graphite stocks do you own? And maybe if you can't tell us the specific companies, you have a view on lithium. Um, thanks, Guy. Yeah, uh, look, obviously lithium is just, uh, you know, will be an enormous, you know, beneficiary of electric vehicles and it is an exciting space. I think what we've learned over the last few years is that there's a lot of pretenders in this space and actually digging it out of the ground and 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 having it and producing is actually very, very difficult. We've seen companies such as Core Lithium, which is the ticket of CXOs, really struggle with that and it's actually raising money today. Now, we have a... Mining really isn't our sweet spot, let's call it, yeah, within WAM Capital. We've only got a few holdings. It would only be about 3 or 4% of the portfolio. But the, the company that we do like in that space is Pilbara Minerals. Um, it's a, it's the one of the largest producers in Australia. It's extremely cheap. It's a very high dividend yield, high, high, generates huge, amount, huge amounts of free cash flow. Um, and with your know, catalyst, while we hold a little bit in that company, is we actually think it potentially is looking for an acquisition. 
Um, so it's a small weighting within WAM Capital, but that's probably we think is that's probably the best uh, play in lithium. If you're looking there, Min Resources, Mineral Resources is always a good company to have a look at, um, but they are expanding into iron ore, and it, fe- it feels like that's probably potentially at the wrong time of the cycle. Although it's got one of the you know one of the best founders you could argue in, in in the market, so you know if you're willing to look longer term and back him, then you know you tend to tend to tend to do well. So, look, long answer again, but um, I'd say Pilbara Minerals, which is PLS, is, is your best bet in lithium. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and Warren has asked, what do you think of GRR, the ASX ticker GRR? I think that's Grange. Uh, which one? Sorry, Grange Resources. Range resources, got no view. Sorry, okay. apologies. Uh, Oscar, the next one. Um, do you have does, what's the team's thesis regarding Comet Comet Ridge? Um, so, so we own Comet Ridge in uh, the microcap portfolio. We actually were fortuitous and we inherited the stock uh, within the West Oz uh, takeover. Um, and we did a lot of work on the, on the company, and we really like it. Um, it's got very strategic assets in the, in southeast Queensland, uh, which is very close to Santos, and they're de- developing a field there. And um, they've signed an offtake agreement with Orica, which um, we think is uh, going to formalise in the next few months, which is the key catalyst to own the stock. So, and as I'm sure a number of listeners are aware, there's a shortage of uh, gas on the east coast of Australia. So we actually think it's one of the few producers um, that are listed on the ASX. So we do think it could be a takeover target at some point. Thanks, Oscar. Um, Sticking with you, what are your views on Premier Investments? Um, Are your thoughts on PMB similar to Harvey Norman? That's from Alex. Yeah, I mean, Premier is a company we've owned for a long time, obviously led by um, who we consider one of the best, well, the best retailer in the country, which is Solomon Liu. the common denominator, the common commonality with Harvey Norman is is Premier has, um, you know, large large amounts of cash, m- no debt. Um, it's got property. It's got shareholdings in Meyer and Breville. And if you strip that out from the market capitalization, you're actually paying very little for, you know, the global businesses in in Smiggle and Peter Alexander. So, um, yes, Premier Premier we bought more through that May and June period. It got we felt it got oversold. Went to you know, from around $27 to $18 in the space of a couple of months. Um, and similar to our views on Harvey Norman, yeah, we, we think numbers have been cut too aggressively and we think we'll actually get upgraded over the next couple of years. And I think broadly on retail, so there's the two themes that we've really, um, that are in the portfolio on retail. You've got those companies with property backing, like a Premier, Nick Scarley or a Harvey Norman. And you've also got those companies that we uh, that are exposed to housing, and companies such as obviously Nick Scully and Harvey Norman. Also on the microcap side, we own Adairs and Beacon Lighting, um, and we think it's actually going to be a very positive period for housing over the next few years, like we've seen in the United States um, and, and even in the United Kingdom. And that's just simply driven by record levels of immigration um, and the fact that we have had low levels of housing uh, housing turnover. Um, over the, I've given the market uncertainty over the last two years. So we've seen great forward lead, lead indicators. REA is close to realestate.com.au, estate, real large cap company, great company. You know, it's almost back at all-time highs. Um, so, you know, generally that's a good lead indicator for sectors in, in retail and also building materials. So, yeah, quite positive on housing, definitely just generally in the portfolio over the next couple of years. I mean, to me, the the, the fascinating thing is, you know, Oscar, with Meyer, 
how you know we started buying a number of years ago before COVID around forty cents, and yeah, you know, it's been yeah, you know, it's been, it was a tough time, but yeah, you know, we've made good money out of it, and and then one of the the you other know, side benefits is you know, we got to um, interact with Solly Lou very closely, and you know, and and the yeah, you know, we've probably made a lot more money out of premium. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Then we made out of Maya, so it's yeah. quite bizarre, isn't it? It's been funny because we've owned both at the same time, really. So, um, which is a bit odd. But I mean, yeah. I can't believe I haven't had a question on Maya. Um, yeah. yeah, they're doing actually. You know, um, had an update recently. Actually, doing quite well, paying a really good dividend. Unfortunately, John's going. He's done a tremendous job. Um, but you know, the business actually in pretty good state. So, yeah, well, fascinating to see how that plays out. Actually, in the next twelve months. Thanks, Jeff and Oscar. Um, Oscar, you kind of touched on this, the themes that you're following um, in the market. Ian has a question that um, flows nicely from that. He says, what are the trends that Wham Capital is following in the market, or is it more on a value-based individual approach to each company or both? So maybe can you talk about your process of how you look at companies? I wonder if this is Ian, my father-in-law, who's actually a shareholder. But if it is, it's a it's a good <laughs> question, um, irrespective of that. But anyway, um, look, we 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 invest on a stock by stock basis. Um, uh, you know, and clearly we want to see a catalyst, and it's got it for our investment process. However, we'll say that trends are always very nice to have in the in your back pocket, and certainly in the the second half of the twenty twenty three financial year, we benefited from a couple, and it was just really through luck. Really, um, we owned. Um, two tech companies in the ASX called uh, NextDC, which is a data center operator, and Megaport, which provides services to data centers. And when uh, NVIDIA in, in the United States had that huge result based on artificial intelligence, these companies ran very strongly through that period. So that was a trend when we saw with artificial intelligence. Other trends we've seen, electric vehicles, um, we've played that nicely and again fortuitously, I would say, through Smart Group and Macmillan Shakespeare and SG Fleet, and this is because a lot of these fleet leasing and Novator leasing companies will get paid a lot more if they sell an electric vehicle than your traditional um, combustible engine vehicle. So, um, so what? What? Yeah, trends in, always roll every like sort of two to three months. Um, they're always nice to have, um, you know. And certainly, the, the trend we think is happening right now in in the market is those stocks exposed to the consumer probably aren't as bad as what people think, so they're having a nice little rally. Um, so it's, but it's always important to know when these sort of trends start to dissipate because that's when you should be selling the stock and taking some profits. So that's something we monitor all the time. Um, so, um, yeah, hopefully that that answers, answers the question. But I would say always the starting point is the process. Does it have a catalyst? Does it fit the process? All right, let's, um, let's buy the company from that point. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and Ian has written in a second part of his question, which I think is more for Jeff, but Oscar, maybe you jump in here too. Um, he says, how much of the WAM dividend is based on dividends from the companies in the portfolio and how much is determined by investment returns? And does that change over time? Well, I mean, I can start. The the the, the all odds, the, the yield on the all odds is 3.7% and it's 57.9% franc. So, Oscar, what would your guess be on the WAM portfolio, the yield on the WAM portfolio? Well, it's going to be lower than the the all odd or the all odds because it's focused in small cap companies. Because we've got a number of companies like those tech companies, for instance, I I, I mentioned before, don't pay dividends. So maybe so, 
two and a half percent. If you're late, two and a half percent. So yeah, okay. So say two and a half percent, and we're and we're giving you um, yeah. So therefore, you know, if you're getting a ten percent fully frank yield on assets, so the other seven and a half percent. Now, does that change over time? Look, it, it obviously does. Like if if, if you know, if the market fell, dropped 50%, then obviously the yield doubles. You know, if the market goes up you know, 30%, then, then the yield drops by that amount. So I remember looking at the yield. You know, I'm surprised how low the franking level is um, at, at the market. I remember you know, back, oh, it could have been 10 years ago, it was about, it was about a 4% yield the market. Yeah, so it probably runs from that three to four, and probably in smalls, it's probably that you know, the two to two and a half, or, or two to three, about that that range. Uh, but back yeah, you know, ten years ago, it was four percent uh, yield, and it was seventy seven percent franc. But yeah, you know, the franking's dropped to you know that fifty seven point nine. Um, and the tough thing is, and I hate to keep harping on it, you know, but the government is trying to stop companies that have excess franking. Paying it out um, by raising capital—that's one of the things we're against. Uh, so that franking number will continue to decline, I would assume, over time. The percentage franking, yeah. But 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 for for WAM Capital, that all that means is we're going to make more money and pay tax. Because if you make the money and you pay the tax, then you have the franking. But yeah, so about twenty-five percent of our dividend. It looks like it comes through, flow through, 20 to 25%. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, we've got two questions on Flight Centre. Um, Marion has asked just for your views in general on Flight Centre, uh, and Guy has asked how many shares does WAM Capital own in Flight Centre? Thanks, guys. Um, I mean, look, Flight Centre is a very large position, Howard. I, say, um, I can't really give you the exact number of shares that we own, but call it a top top 10 position in WAM Capital, so, you know, quite large. Um, what are our views on the company? Um, we bought it very well, started buying it uh, around $16 uh, in November, December last year, and currently trading around $22. Um, yeah, look, the business has done very well. It's, it's, it's upgraded earnings twice um, since that point. It's made a little acquisition. I think one of the things people have forgotten about with Flight Centre is that it, it generates a lot of cash, um, you know, uh, and it's building up a huge amount of cash at the moment. Then obviously with interest rates a lot higher, you're going to see a lot more interest revenue come through for the business. Um, but the real catalyst for us in buying the business is they've set a target in the 2025 financial year that they will have a profit margin of 2% uh, based on all the tickets. So that's the profit that they generate in the business versus the total amount of tickets that they sell. And the analysts following the stock have a profit margin of 1.5%. So our view is, is that it doesn't even need to get to 2%. It could get to 1.75% or 1.8%, and you're going to see significant earnings upgrades. So um, that's the reason why we still own the company. We, we're backing management to get close to that 2% target. Um, and if we do, we'll see quite strong earnings upgrades. So we've got the results uh, next week, So and they upgraded a few weeks ago. So you know, it should be you know very, very strong result, and certainly our Feedback on the travel market is still very strong at the moment. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Jeff, this next one is for you from Alan. Um, 
he says he's been a shareholder in various WAMLEX since 2012, and his observation is that issuing options and share purchase plans doesn't seem to have added value for shareholders, but has led to sustained periods of share price weakness, compounded by takeovers with too much shares on issue growth. Can you provide a comment on that? Yeah, just a lot, the latter part is the um, like the takeovers. Obviously, you're issuing if you're issuing shares for the takeovers, then there's more takeovers that turn up. But the the actual numbers are they do increase the NTA. Well, sorry, the ones we do, we only do them if 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 we're going to make a good return on it. Um, so yeah, even though there might be some short term um, yeah selling, then then it does in terms of the the option or the share purchase plan, you know, that, that just increases the size of the company. So there has to be a benefit to do that. The interesting thing is with options, usually what happens is when you announce the options, you actually usually get the share price, depending on where they're priced, the share price probably usually outperforms until the options, until it goes X options. Then it really, it's a little bit of Russian roulette whether those options get exercised or not. Um, I mean, the reason why historically we've liked options, because if we did a rights issue, then you have no choice. It's like holding a gun to the shareholder's head and saying, in the next six weeks, you've either got to put money in or you get diluted. Where options, you know, if they last for a year and a half, then A, a the, the, the company has to perform. Well, the way we structure them, I know Platinum did some options recently which were in the money, but you know, below NTA, we, we, we don't do that. We try to do it at NTA, if not a premium. So you know, then we have to perform to raise that money. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I mean, there's no doubt, and with a share purchase plan, you know, you, you're issuing more shares. So if you're, in, that's, that's, you know, if you're increasing supply, then, you know, then, as you said, there's usually a period of, you know, where the share price does nothing. Um, yeah, so that's – and then, then effectively it's the board trying to weigh up. Um, and then, like, classic example is, well, say Wham Capital. You know, if, 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 we, um, you know, if we were still the size we were when we floated, you know, which was we raised you – yeah, know, we had a prospectus to raise $20 million and we are oversubscribed and we ended up doing a placement of that, so I ended up with 21 and a half mil. You know, then, you know, we would have never made a takeover bid for a Mason. Yeah, you know, so to me, when you when you increase in size, opportunities present themselves. Uh, and another example is like Wham Leaders. When we flooded Wham Leaders, that was four hundred about four hundred million, and now that's you know, just a little under two billion dollars of assets. Uh, and now all of a sudden, in that space, you know, they they get exposure to those big companies. Um, you know, we're at a size where you know we get incredibly ex- incredible exposure to companies. You know, media, you know, we, we would probably, I think Oscar and his team probably get the best exposure to medium and small size Australian listed companies or potentially listed companies in Australia. Uh, and, and with leaders, we're trying to increase the size of leaders to get that you know to have that type of you know, exposure. I know Matt, I think had um, you know I think had. Yeah, you know, the the CEO of Combank came into our office the other day. Yeah, you know, we would have we would have never had we would have never get got that quality of information back then. And and in investing, yeah, you know, how I see it is the best quality of information tends to win. 
So if you can have, you know, if you can get access to the best quality of information, then you can make the better decisions um, that ends up giving you better performance over time. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, obviously getting, when you get larger, you know, that's what it actually, you know, one of the things that, that does come to the table. So it might, it, you know, there might be some short-term, um, you know, it might hold the share price back short-term, but it actually might create some significant value medium long-term. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and following on from that, Neil has asked, um, I understand with some of the takeovers of recent years, WAM has not only gained NTA growth um, in franking credits, but also realized capital losses embedded in the takeover target. So yeah. Yeah. can that to reduce tax? Yeah. tax can we use it? Yeah. The, the, I know when we, I know there's something, yeah, when, when we make a takeover, there's the way that, it's treated for tax. If we're if we're issuing shares at a premium to NTA, we do get an embedded loss, which actually does reduce our tax payment. Um, so there is a benefit in terms of the tax that's in. You know, if if the company has tax losses, then we we usually can't use them. Um, the the at the company we're taking over, franking credits just get. They just get amalgamated, just put into the big pot. Um, but tax losses, there has to be there's certain requirements you need to meet: continuity of ownership or continuity of business, and usually that's very hard. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, back to you with some stocks. Um, what are your thoughts on TZL, GenTrack, and the Symbio Superloop merger? That's three different ones. Yeah, cool. No, th thanks for the, the question. TZL's um, look very, very small company. I think it could be running out of cash based off its last quarterly. So that's we don't own that one. Um, Gentrack, been a very successful turnaround in the technology space. Um, these guys are focused in the utility space, but have strong business in the United Kingdom. Uh, very strong organic growth profile for the business, um, which doesn't include new contract wins. So we see this business is growing its top line around 15% a year. Uh, we hold this in the, in the WAM microcap portfolio. It's what was one of our best stocks last year. We're still very bullish on, this, on the company into this year. Um, Symbio and um, Superloop. Uh, we own Symbio. We just started buying it and then the takeover occurred. Um, we just thought of, we had a look at it, looked interesting into reporting season. We owned it in the microcap portfolio um, look, it does. The, the merger does make sense. Um, there's definitely synergies between the two companies. Um, uh, we still own the company. We do think there might be some uh, other interest in Symbio. It is a strategic asset, um, particularly listed company Aussie Broadband potentially could be interested in it too. Um, so we're, we're still holding our Symbio shares here. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Jeff, the next one is for you from Robin. Is there any intention to move to a more regular dividend payment for WAM, i.e. a quarterly dividend? Yeah, I mean, that, that is interesting, Robin. And if you look in the UK, and Oscar said we were both over there just you know, recently, um, the, they do a lot more quarterly dividends over there. Uh, in Australia, some companies do quarterly dividends. The, I mean, we haven't seen any... Um, any um, 
what is it, anything to show us or we, we haven't seen anything that more regular payment of dividend actually helps your premium or discount to NTA. So, um, yeah, at the moment, the plan is just to make, you know, to pay it on a, on a six monthly basis. And yeah, that's, that's the current plan. I mean, we do look at it um, and we do consider it. But the board at the moment has decided to stay where we are. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, the next one is for you. This is kind of putting you on the spot. It's a question from uh, Moonraj. At the current share price, what is the one stock that you hold that you're most excited about? G'day, Moonraj. How are you going? Uh, we should catch up. I'm assuming it's you. <laughs> um, uh, what's best? Oh, geez, what a, what a question that is. Um, good question. Good question. Good question. Oh, I, 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 and then ask for the second best. I can, all, I can see, <laughs> all I can see in my, here in my head is Tobias yelling at me saying Tua, Tua, Tua. So I'm going to say Tua, which is TPG Singapore, um, oh. uh, which we've talked about many times here. So Tobias is one. What's your one? Oh, it, it probably is. Got the, it's probably got the most upside. Us. But I'm a value guy. He's the growth guy. He's more exciting than me. Um, <laughs> well, what, uh, what do you like in value? Uh, okay, oh, here's a good one. Uh, I th- look. I'm gonna st- I'm gonna stick with the, the retail names. I, I really am. I think Nick Scarly. That was a really really good result. I think the market's got it wrong on on earnings this year and next. There's, you know, it's funny. You know, it's, it's always great to see conservative management teams. Um, you know, they've got properties on their balance sheet that they purchased 10 years ago in Alexandria that is on the balance sheet lower than what it was than they bought them. So <laughs> clearly their property is under, materially understated. So you got that. It was just a nice backstop for the company. But, um, yeah, we've in terms of they've done this acquisition of their competitor plush, taken out a whole heap of synergies. And I think what's, what's really come out this reporting season, which is interesting, the retail sector, is that, um, suppliers, so globally, there's a lot of regions globally that are really suffering at the moment. So a lot of the suppliers are suddenly seeing these big Australian retailers actually doing quite well. They're getting better terms with their suppliers. Suddenly looking at shopping centres as well where um, landlords, you know, probably don't want that small independent uh, retail that has a bad balance sheet in there. They want the bigger retailers like and the stronger retailers like Nick Scully. So you've got that sort of thematic going for it. Um but yeah, we're just generally as we look forward in the earnings, like we think they're probably twenty percent too low, and we think given the success of the plush acquisition, he's going to repeat it. Um, so looking at that, the stock's had a good run, but I, I think it can get to you know twenty dollars um, in the next sort of twelve to eighteen months. So um, yeah, very bullish on that, and, and it's interesting. Like there's a lot of stocks like that, um, that and that's why we're excited on smalls. So look. That'll be my pick. That's probably the best thing I've seen this reporting season. Tobias would say TPG Singapore, which is TUA, T-U-A. Um, it is a great story. Um, it's effectively when David Teo sold um, TPG to Vodafone, um, he was basically the rump, which was their Singapore business, you know, really fell out of favour in the market. Um, David actually bought more stock at the lows at 50 cents. Um, we followed him in around that point in time in the microcap portfolio. Uh, today it's about a dollar eighty, dollar ninety. They've come from nowhere to suddenly having six or seven percent market share in Singapore in mobile. They're about to launch broadband. It's a very similar story to TPG in the early in in, the, in you know a decade ago. 
So it's a great buy and hold company where you can see, you know, you can make up your own valuation over the, over the longer term in terms of execution. So there you go. There's a value play and there's a growth play. How's that? Thanks, Oscar. Um, look, we are getting quite a few stock picks. So, Oscar, I might just give them all to you. Go yeah, find go for it. Um, so your views on CSR. Great company. Um, uh, well, yeah, it's probably a buy. Yep. It's cheap. Uh, yeah, like, it, you know, and it feels like the worst in building materials. Like we're going to have a good period of the next couple of years. And, and, and and like, we just do a buy, hold, sell, and, and we can't get advice. So this isn't advice. We're just doing a little, playing a little <laughs> game. Yeah. So it's a buy. Unfortunately, we don't own it in the portfolio. We own a number of others. Okay. Hello, world. I think, look, it's very similar to Flight Centre, what I talked about before. Really the same business. I prefer Flight Centre, um, but, I, you know, I, I think you can hold it. Steadfast Insurance, SDF. Well, we own it. I've got to say a buy. The result's probably going to come out in 20 minutes. Um, but, no, Rob Kelly, CEO, is fantastic. Um, you know, I think they'll probably pull the trigger on an acquisition soon. Um, but, you know, hopefully see an upgrade to earnings this year as well. So, no, we still like it. It's a great company to buy. Uh, GQG. GQG. So we were, oh, I'm going to say, yeah, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> so, my look, we struggled at the IPO. It's got a fabulous, um, you know, fund manager, Um and he's done incredibly well. It just, to me, stinks. It smells of a stock that's got huge key man risk, and we've all seen what's happened with Magellan. Um, and so, and his performance has been very, very strong, which sort of makes me think it mean reverts at some point. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm probably a sell. Okay, CYC, that's Cyclofarm. Cyclofarm. Uh, we don't own it. It's got an FDA approval coming up in the end of September. Um, we will look at it at the micro cap portfolio, but with these things, they're so binary. Um, they're very, very difficult. Um, so often you're off, You're better just to watch it and see what happens, and you're, off, you're better off just buying on the day because they often, as we saw with Neuron, they keep going higher and higher. So look, we'll wait on the sidelines, but we'll certainly be watching it. So okay, um, what's the answer? Um, I'd say... That's hard. They hold. Great. Um, DSE, that's drop sweet. Yeah, we missed it, unfortunately. Um, looking at it again, because it had a slip up at the result recently, there's a new product that's been launched by Microsoft. So I'm a hold. We're looking at it. Okay. And ACE, that's AccuCensus. Yeah, I think this is this um, recent IPO that um, – I think it was very early stage that had it monitors people on their mobile phones in the car. Um, we we didn't um, go into the IPOs very early stage, very small, um, but we're having we're going to watch it closely at the August result. The answer probably I'd say hold, give it a chance. Okay, uh, JB Hi-Fi. I think it's a buy. So that was a really good result. Best retailer in in well one of the best retailers in Australia dominates its category, um, and, again, high, high, you know, there's a lot of short sellers betting against its um, performance. I think they'll be wrong. I think earnings are too low. Um, so, yeah, really like the company. 
Um, we would have bought it. It didn't fall enough, unfortunately, whereas Harvey Norman did. Um, so, um, yeah, our preference would be Harvey's at this point in time. But definitely buy or hold, you're fine. Okay. Uh, retail food group. It's a hold. I'd love to say it's a buy. We own it. Worst company we had in microcap portfolio last year, but it's trading at a double-digit free cash flow yield. It's Look, I feel sorry for the, the team there because they've been through – it's not their issues. Um, it's the past, and that's finally cleared now for the whole business. And then at a the point in time it cleared, you know, the market entered a recession effectively. So, um, so we haven't been able to see what this business can truly earn. Um, but it's generating really strong cash flow. Balance sheet's good. Um, you know, there's got some bad brands within the portfolio. They've got some good brands. Um, but, yeah, we think it's a hold. The reason why I'm saying it's not a buy is because it's, you know, a really small company. It's going to take some time for the market to get used to it before it starts rallying again. So I think it probably does some time down at these levels and then maybe in the second half of the financial year probably looks interesting. So I'll say hold. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, clean away. Cool, tough one. Um, yeah, it's a hold. Good company. Not convinced on management, though. We don't own it. Um, yeah, just struggling for a catalyst on this one, and it's expensive. But if it has a slip up, it's a massive acquisition target. Very consolidated industry, not just in Australia but globally. So, and it's a good company and. And it's also got ESG credentials as well. So it means the valuation probably stays quite high. So I'd say hold. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Costa Group. Currently in a takeover. Um, it was funny. We tried to buy it for about two weeks and then couldn't. And um, lo and behold, there was a takeover. Um, look, yeah, so it's look, uh, one to look at if the takeover doesn't um, doesn't eventuate. Um Payne and Partners already own quite a significant amount of stock, so you'd assume that it would happen. Um, but similar to what I said before on Select Harvest, cost has been really impacted by the weather over the last you know, two or three years, hasn't really had a good run at it. Um, but that was clearing up in the first half of, of this uh, calendar year, thankfully, and actually had, it had a really good first half result. So we were, that was the real reason why we're looking at it as an idea into this reporting season. So... Um, I would say if the takeover doesn't go ahead, it's a buy. Um, and, you know, if, if you own the stock, yeah, I can't tell you what to do. But generally when we're in that position, um, you know, obviously getting a takeover is good. It's sometimes better to take some profits in my view. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and MAF, that's MA Financial Group. Yep. So that's been in the press lately given um, Red Cape which is uh, one of the funds they manage, uh, which is investor in basically pubs, um, has had some, re- uh, they basically pause redemptions from that fund. Um, they're now in the process because they've got to fund some redemptions to sell some pubs. Um, that's why the share price has fallen quite a lot. Unfortunately, we own it and we got hit on that in the micro cap portfolio in, in, in July. Now, our view is, is that the share price has fallen more than what, it, um, than what that issue uh, deserved, let's call it, and there hasn't been any impact into the the funds management business within Mollus. So we've actually been buying the shares into the result. We actually think it could have a quite a good decent result. So, um, and the shares are looking cheap right now. Um, so yeah, we think it's buy. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and PAC, that specific current group. 
Yeah, so that's currently under takeover from um, Regal uh, at the moment. So um, we actually do own we own shares in RPL Regal. Um, we actually think it you know would be a good good acquisition for them. Um, from a PAC perspective, I think I'll probably reiterate my previous uh, comments on, on Costa. Um, look, it, 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 it was a very full price. It was a big price. Um, so, And you never know what happens in those situations. But And clearly GQG is the other party as well that's interested there. But I don't know if they're playing games or, or whatever. But, um, look, hard to make a comment on PAC. Their, their result was okay. I wouldn't say it was that great. Um, but it was a good price they received on the takeover. So for me, if we owned it, I'd probably say sell. Thanks, Oscar. And uh, LKE, that's Lake Resources. Lake Resources, yeah, again, sort of in the resources space um, and it's in that sort of, um, you know, battery metal space when it, and it's, it's pre-production. So it's been all over the shop, that share price, in the last few weeks. Um, so, and as I said before, I think you want to stay in the producers, which would be Pilbara Minerals. So, I, from my perspective, uh, we wouldn't own it in Wham Capital. So, I'll say it's a, it's a, it's a sell. Uh, AVZ Minerals. Oh, the old AVZ. Oh God, you have to make a call on the Congolese government. I think if you're going to own that company, <laughs> um, I'm serious. Uh, hey, uh, hey, hey, this is this is a little benefit everyone gets normally. The uh, normally this is the next the next call, isn't it? I suppose we've done all the main. That's oh, good. You, you keep going. Yeah, um, but Not yeah, no, I've got no real view on that. I mean, the the company was a huge company within the small index. We never owned it, but um, yeah, and obviously the Congolese government, I think, tried to nationalise the mine. Um, when was that? Sort of in twenty early twenty twenty two. So, um, look, it's got a. I think by all accounts, it's got a huge lithium deposit. Um, but, yeah, we've seen these companies come and go numerous times. So, look, yeah, I mean, for us, we wouldn't own it. So I have to say it's a sell. Thanks, Oscar. Um, and Worley, W-O-R. Worley. So we own Worley. It was in our top 20. I reduced. We reduced it. Uh, it was just purely because the valuation was getting up there. Um, look, it's very expensive, the company, for what it does, which is an engineering contract at the oil and gas sector. But it is like it's got a great thematic. I think one of the questions earlier on was, you know, around trends. Well, this is one of the, you know, the biggest trend in the world, really. And it's obviously, um, you know, moving to cleaner energy. And Wally has basically transitioned their business to be, you know, the leader in terms of engineering capabilities in this space. So, think at the moment around 30% of their revenue is exposed and to clean energy and it's and it's it's increasing at a rapid rate and that's actually increasing margins so look Wally I reduce we reduced it into the result purely because it had a great run cash flow conversion um, converting their earnings to cash has always been an issue for the business and sometimes we see volatility around reporting season um, that was my reason to to, to reduce it um, if we saw the shares go back into the early, you know, if we went back to $15, $16, we'd probably be a buyer. So I'm going to say hold. Long story. Thanks, Oscar. Um, uh, let's see. Phoenix Resources? Yeah, don't know. Sorry. Uh, and ProMedicus. ProMedicus, probably one of the best stocks in the ASX. Um, it's trades at a ridiculous valuation. 
um, and probably made one of the best acquisitions any company has really made in Australia um, of Visage a number of years ago. So, um, look, had a great result. Um, We own it within the portfolio. It is very, very expensive, the stock, but it's got an awesome management team. It's an awesome product. There's huge, high, very high margins. I think 60% margins. I think it does for memory. Um, and it's, it keeps winning contracts through the United States. So, um, well, and globally. So for me, I think it's a hold. You've got to own it. Thanks, Oscar. Um, so that I think pretty much clears the stocks that we had coming through. Um, let's see. We've got one, uh, from Andrew. It's more about your investment process. Um, he says, I'm wondering if you only invest into small caps with a view to profitability or also in companies simply for capital value increase. Um, there are miners like Magnetite Mines with great support from government and local companies um, in towns as well as agreements with Horizon. Um, are there any types of companies that you choose not to invest in and why? Yeah, look, we, we never say no to any company. It's as long as it fits the process and, you know, whether it's a market-driven idea with a catalyst or it's a research-driven idea with a catalyst. I think the, you know, we touched on this today is the, the sectors we generally avoid and it's, it's probably mining, um, unless there's a really strong catalyst, probably oil and gas producers, real estate investment trusts and uh, biotech um, because a lot of those, those catalysts with biotech are very binary. Um, so I think, yeah, when we, and if we look at mining and oil and gas, very cyclical. Like for us, we don't view ourselves, uh, and this is the WAM Capital team, certainly this is different for the WAM Leaders team, but in terms of the WAM Capital team, we don't view ourselves as commodity uh, experts or where the commodity price is going. We're generally very, what we think is our sweet spot is really focusing on an industrial company. So in the mining space, for instance, we're probably rather um, looking at a mining mining services company or an oil services company such as Wally Parsons, which I, I talked about just before. So um, never rule anything out, but we feel like I like call it our wheelhouse or our hitting zone is in those sort of industrial companies. And Generally, the, you know, nine times out of ten, the, the catalyst for us is generally an earnings upgrade, because you know, as Jeff will always say, it often, you know, the earnings re-rate, or sorry, the, the share price re-rate is actually better uh, for for you than an earnings upgrade. So if, if investors think there's an earnings upgrade, generally the share price will will respond very very positively. Um, so I'd say that's generally the catalyst nine times out of ten, and then. There's often special situations where you think a company's going to make an acquisition, they could make a divestment. On the market-driven side, there could be a director selling stock at a discount. Um, it could be an IPO, et cetera. So, um, but, yeah, I think I think generally nine times out of ten, we're looking for an earn- earnings upgrade in the process. Thanks, Oscar. Um, Jeff, we might go back to you. We've got a question about the discounts again. Um, Howard has said that the share price versus NTA slide, that one that we showed with the premium and discount, um, indicates a discount to NTA during periods of recession. With the global economy slowing, what strategies do you have in mind to manage the risk of a discount to NTA re-emerging in the coming years? The... the, the it's, as, I, as we were talking about earlier... Um, the shareholder engagement, you know, the communication, you know, it's, it's really those four things, performance, dividend, treating shareholders 
you know, with respect and having a, a really detailed communication engagement marketing strategy. Uh, and the, um, I mean, historically, you, you know, the, you know, like WAM is a, a lot different vehicle now than it was um, back, yeah, you know, a number of years ago. Uh, how it works is, is really, you know, I remember first year economics where they, you know, they show you on the, on the blackboard the supply and demand um, curve and they show you where equilibrium is. That's exactly the same with, um, with listed investment companies. If there's more buyers and sellers, um, you know, then and more demand, at a, you know, then, then they'll trade at premiums to NTAs. If there's more selling than buying. And what happens is you, you tend to find that over time your share register tightens up. Um, you know, there's always going to be movements. You look at, say, Africa Argo, which are the two biggest in the in this space. You know, they have a very, I'd say, 80 or 90% of their share register. You know, they're 90, 80, 90, 100 years old. Um, you know, 80 or 90% of their share register is very, very, um, you know, secure and there's only a very marginal amount that trades. Uh, and that's, I think, Wham Capital is now in, is more in that category um, in terms of, you know, we're nearly through our 25th year. Um, you know, so I wouldn't think the, you know, that the, the, the extreme, it'll be as extreme in terms of the discounts. You know, what can we do to stop that? We can't. Like the market's the market. Yeah, you know, it's, it's sort of when, you know, when the, you know, when the GFC, yeah, you know, as occurring, you're thinking and valuations are becoming ridiculously cheap. Yeah, you know, oh, this is ridiculous. But that's unfortunately that's the market. Yeah, you know, the, these things happen at various points in time. So, what we can do is we can manage the money. Um, we can yeah you know, really spend significant time communicating with shareholders, finding new shareholders, um, and you know what we do. Um, and then if there's anything specific. Yeah, then then we'll we, yeah we're very happy to be flexible and pivot in terms of you know, as we did during um, COVID. You know, when COVID started, the the you know we thought like yeah, you know, there's enormous yeah, you know, there's a high level of uncertainty. Yeah, you know, let's and we had yeah you know, how many how many um, calls did we have in the early part of COVID? Are these uh, sort of calls? Yeah. Oh, I remember I did one from Yas from my family farm. So yeah, I, I remember doing a couple. Like, yeah, there was yeah, it was yeah, and and like we had thousands of people call in because you know there's a there was a hard lot, you know, significant degree of uncertainty. So, I mean, to me, you've got to pivot when you see effectively it's what you see is occurring in front of you. You know how you should uh, address it. And during you know when we went to a discount last time, we actually did a buyback, um, which was at a at NTA, which ended up being at a premium uh, to the you know, significant premium to the share price. So, you know, so, you know, companies got to look at all those. You know, unfortunately, as I said, if this legislation comes in, then in theory, if you do a buyback, you're going to lose franking credit. So that mightn't be as palatable as it was back, you know, during um, the GFC. Thanks, Jeff. Um Brett has asked a question um, just about the fees. What are the underlying fees charged on WAM? Yeah, 1% management fee and a 20% performance fee. The performance fee is on the outperformance of the all-ords. 
uh, and and it's only on positive performance. So if the you know, so if the market's yeah, you know, it's not relative performance. Yeah, you know, in terms of if the market's down. 20% and we're down 10%, even though if we outperform by 10%, we don't get a performance fee. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and a different Brett has asked if you might not consider cutting the dividend slightly to help the NTA. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, and, and, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, and, um, you yeah, know, at the moment the board has decided, and we just had the board meeting you know, just recently because we just announced the dividend, and that was that was one of the one of the topics on the agenda. Yeah, you know, do we cut the dividend? Yeah, then yeah, you know, then it means we've got you know then then there's there's more assets there, there's less paid out. Um, but yeah, at, at this point in time, the board's decided to you know pay the final dividend of uh, of that and and go on with the strategy. Yeah. Now, like, yeah. You know, obviously, a scenario that would work well is if there was, you know, if if the portfolio performed well over the next couple of years, then then the NTA increases and also the profit reserve increases. You know, so that you get the yield you're paying is on a it's a less of a yield because the NTA's increased. So that's you know that's that's a positive scenario. Thanks, Jeff. Um... Oscar, back to you. Juliet has asked, if you plan to buy into a stock in stages, um, do you ever decide it's become too expensive? And if so, at what point? That's a really good question. Um, thanks, Juliet. Um, well, we actually did that. Uh, funny thing with this, going going into this reporting season, you know, you know previously I've been talking about um, this afternoon just in terms of, you know, we, we made a bet on the consumer space in June May, June, for instance. And it's funny, the market these days, it just moves so fast. Um, that's what we always find ever since COVID. I don't know what it is, if it's a flow of information or or, or whatever, it just it, it happens really quickly. And Nick Sky is a great example of that where we bought, um, you know, our, we went into this reporting season probably two-thirds of the way set, um, which means, you know, we, we probably wanted to buy another – 30 or 50% of our holding after this result. And my, my reasoning behind that was I thought the result would be terrible, um, to be put, to be honest with you. And it was funny, on the day of the Nick Scali result, I was trying to ring around to the stockbrokers saying, oh, this is a terrible result, hoping they're telling their clients that and maybe the shares would go down. But instead they went rocketing up. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's a funny dynamic because – and and. The reason why I say that is, is because Nick Scar, we started buying May June, and then through that July period, the stock went up about fifteen or twenty percent, and it went up what I thought was too much. And actually, we actually sold a few shares um, going into the result. Now, in the end, the result was way better than what we thought it was, um, and there was additional catalyst. So we actually, on the day of the result, the stock went up about twelve percent. We actually bought on that day because it was actually a lot better than our numbers expected, but there was more catalyst. Which is really important. So, um, you know, you, you've got to be willing sometimes. You know, we're, we're not always right on on companies. It was a mistake from from my behalf to actually sell shares in Nick Scarly going into that result. But because there was more catalysts, we were still comfortable buying at ten percent higher. So, um, hopefully, that gives you a flavour of um, what we try and do. And you know, we're always trying to look twelve to eighteen months in advance. And you know, what we we saw sort of you know around in the small cap sector was 
you know, this, you know, 30% of the small caps exposed to the economy are just so cheap and unloved that if there was a shift in the market to this sector, you know, we'd see the share prices really, really go up a lot. And that, and, you know, so far this reporting season, that's what's happened. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, the next question is from Warwick. Um, he's asked, what is the likely direction for the Australian dollar exchange rate? And what is the consequent impact on WAM's revenue through asset return? Um, okay, so on the, I mean, I don't know if that's one for Jeff, but just on the, I guess, from a WAM capital perspective, I mean, clearly you've just got to make a call on those companies that are, you know, are there offshore earners in 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 the portfolio? Um, you know, they all their earnings will be higher as you translate that into Australia. You know, people that um, companies that buy goods from overseas in US dollars are going to be disadvantaged. So you got to we've got to make those calls all the time within sectors within the portfolio. And generally, if you've got the company that's got a headwind on the Australian dollar, but it's got pricing power within its its chosen field, then generally we've seen over time that concerns around the Australian dollar, as long as it's not a sharp reduction or a sharp increase, um, you know, they, they tend to be okay. Um, so, yeah, we've got to make a, a call on on the companies in the portfolio on an individual basis, which we're sort of always constantly doing. Um, what do I think the Australian dollar is going to do? I wish Matt was here and he could give his view. Um, I mean, the only thing I'll say, which is we probably all know it anyway, but yeah, clearly, and I said it earlier, China is the, the data out of China is really weak. So it's generally, you know, the fortune of the Australian dollar is, 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 is all in China. Um, so, and, and largely on commodity prices as well. So if we see stimulus, um, economic stimulus within China, then, you know, potentially that might see the Australian dollar rise over time. But um, yeah, we think it probably is range bound between call it, uh, 62 and 67 uh, for some time, particularly given it looks like the RBA's paused interest rates as well. But uh, I will, I'm probably the worst person to talk to on the view on Australia, on exchange <laughs> rates, to be blunt. Uh, Thanks, Oscar. Um, uh, let's see. I know you've talked um, about your views on the economy. Um, Peter has just asked the financial media is predicting a recession in 2024 um do you agree and how will that affect wham capital i don't know it's hard i don't know i still i've been saying this for a while i don't think we will and i just think australia is just going to follow the us um largely um because i just think immigrate immigrate the immigration that's going to come on here is just going to be so so strong um and, you know, certainly house prices have hardly fallen, really. Um, so I don't know. I, I still feel pretty confident um, that we won't go into recession. It'll be touch and go. There's no doubt about that. Um, so I, th I think it'll largely play out a little bit better than what, what we all expected probably six months ago. That's sort of the feeling I have. Um, how does it – well, the interesting when you ask how does it impact us, you've always got to look forward um, and, you know, six to 12 months ago, like, as I said, look, if you have a look at our performance, we actually did quite well against the small cap index. Why did we do quite well? Well, we didn't own companies exposed to the consumer six to 12 months ago. And a lot of these companies have fallen extensively over the last six months because the market is, is, is anticipating a really tough time for earnings and probably a recession in the next, you know, one to two years. If we fast forward to today, 
and this is why we've been buying these companies, we feel that that's too negative. Um, and we actually think the earnings might get upgraded over time. So, look, whether we go into recession or not, you know, the, the market always looks forward. Um, so I think from our perspective, there's always opportunities. We saw that last year. Yeah, we were very happy with our performance last year because it was really based off of a handful of stocks um, that did really, really well. Um, so, yeah, you can never well, – Learn with the exception of 2022, which was an extreme situation, feels like from our perspective, there's always opportunities. The investment process works, and you can always you can always find very interesting companies. Thanks very much for that, Oscar. Um, we are we are getting to the end of everybody's questions, um, but we do have um, two on the profits reserve. Which uh, Jeff, I'll get you to just clarify because they're both about um, unrealized profits. Um, so let's see, Neil has asked, um, you gave an example, um, of starting, of Koi starting at a hundred million and then making real and unrealized gains of 10 million. Mm -hmm. So if 10 million was transferred to the profit reserve mm -hmm. and then the market reverses and there are unrealized losses of mm -hmm. 2 million, yeah. is is that transferred to the profit reserve as a negative figure, therefore reducing the profit reserve? Well, no. It, the, where it, it really is up to how you want to account to it. Yeah, the, if, 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 say, if it falls by $2 million, then how we account for it is then, say, the balance, you started with $100 million, um, it went up, the portfolio went up to, say, $113 million, paid $3 million tax, there's $10 million profit, um, you know, the, the, the profits put into the profit reserve, the portfolio then drops. So it goes from $110 million after tax to $108 million after tax. That's the $2 million loss that you're talking about. Uh, the $10 million has already gone to the profit reserve, so the $2 million loss will stay as in, in retained earnings. So it'll actually be retained losses. So that's why you'll see on the WAM capital balance sheet yeah, you know, there'll there'll be, you know, if, if there's if we've been topping up the profit reserve during a year, and in the last couple of months, because you, you reset the profit reserve at the start of each year, the last couple of months, if there's um, a loss, then that stays in as retained earnings, which will end up being a retained loss. So in that instance, I gave you, um, or you you used, you could still pay a ten million dollar uh, dividend. If you'd paid the tax or had the franking credits, it would be fully franked. Yeah. Is that that one, Olivia? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, Oscar, yep. if you're happy, if you're happy, we'll just go through the last the last couple of stocks. Um, Monodelphus, BHP and Nobody, and that's it for stocks. Okay. All right. Monodelphus, I think, is a buy. I think they're through the worst of it in terms of labour cost pressures. So I think that looks looks good into next year. So I think that's a buy. BHP, that's not a stock we own. Um, that's one for Matt and he, I well, they definitely own it in their portfolio. Um, I think they're overweight, Jeff. Um, uh, but, you know, Matt's, or, you know, generally the view would be that, yeah, it's really tough in China at the moment. The stock's been hit hard. We're due for some, some stimulus and the stock looks cheap. Uh, Navadi, so so I'd say a hold. Uh, Navadi for me, sell. Um, 
you know, I think from memory the cash burn is is too high, but relative to the cash they have at the bank, um, so they need to take out some costs or sell their their stake and reckon. Um, so yeah, I'd be a, I'd be a sell on that one. Thanks, Oscar and Jeff. Um, we'll close with a stock pick from you, from David. I don't know if you're going to like me asking this one, but uh, David has asked, which is the best Wilson Asset Management fund to buy? Oh, that's an, well. In theory, you go for the biggest discount. Um, and, and all the, the biggest discount at the moment, I think, is in war, you know, WAM strategic value. So that's, you know, I'd be, that's, that's the one I'd be buying. Had a good start to the year too. <laughs> you did. That's been good. That's been a very good start to the year. So we just got to get it to trade at NTA, if not a premium, then, then, then you'll be happy. Um, why don't we so we that's the last question and so it doesn't look as though we'll have to go back to too many questions again you know thank you all yeah on behalf of oscar you know, all the wilson asset management team olivia you know thank you for your support um you know we do this because we enjoy doing it you've noticed over the last you know, period um you know the the, the various questions of that you've thrown at us you know, I hope that's helped you more fully understand you know, how the uh, the company operates, you know, what the drivers are, because by you understanding how we operate, then then you can you can observe what happens and and um, you know, make your decision your investment decisions. Uh, so thank you again. You know, thanks for your support, and looking forward to seeing you at the maybe the AGMs or if not uh, the roadshows early next year. Thank you.